trees into bone Stars turning high up above You turn me into somebody You turn me into somebody loved Someday when we're old and worn Like to soften shoes I will wonder how I was born The night I ran away from you Now my feet turn the corner back home Sun turns the evening to rose Stars turning high up above You turn me into A story is true, a story is untrue, a story is a work of transformative fiction. As time extends, it matters less and less. Hello, I'm Kendra Spring Classic, and welcome back to Reading Between the Lines, a podcast by fandom nerds for fandom nerds. This podcast is all about fan fiction, the much maligned art form that, much to the chagrin of a certain author I'd like to poke with a pointy stick, nevertheless brings many people cathartic levels of joy, not just in the reading of it, but in the creation of it as well. If this is your first time listening, welcome! We're so glad to have you, but be sure to go back and listen to episode one with the delightful and insightful James, a.k.a. Lupus Maris, and his beautiful story, A Vulgar Holy Thing. During our chat, James and I both gushed over our mutual admiration for fanfic author Jay Noves. Jay is not only an extremely prolific author, but a wonderful voice actor as well. In fact, listening to Jay's own podfic recordings while living as an expat in Japan inspired me to create this podcast. So, if you've enjoyed reading Between the Lines thus far, you've got Jay to thank for it. I'm so very excited to share Jay's story, You Turned Me Into Somebody Loved. Be sure to stay tuned after the story for a discussion of epic proportions, all about black sales, the almighty subtext, and Jay's creative process. So kick up your feet 
Get cozy and join us on the high seas for some laudanum-induced sweetness. I always want to know I meet you where the spirit meets the bones In a faith-forgotten land In from the snow Your touch brought forth an incandescent glow Tarnished but so grand And the old widow goes to the stones every day But I don't, I just sit here and wait Grieving for the living Oh, goddamn, my pain fits in the palm of your freezing hand Taking mine, but it's been promised to another Oh, I can't stop you putting roots in my dreamland My house of stone, your ivy grows, and now I'm covered in you Turned Me Into Somebody Loved, One-Shot Series, by Brenanza and Jay Noves, Christelle Jenkins. Summary. This is a series of missing-slash-could-have-happened scenes for the pirate lads. Mostly wish fulfillment, a.k.a. the cute soft verse. And to see how fast I can write concepts that aren't a million words. Also, I'm folding in reader prompts as it goes along. Tags will update as new chapters are posted. Hope you like it. A note that all of the chapters are standalone as far as continuity. They just have a similar vibe and are relatively short, so I've grouped them together in one collection. Series title from Somebody Loved by the Weepies. Your Touch Brought Forth an Incandescent Glow Chapter by Jay Noves Christelle Jenkins Chapter Notes Prompts from Calamity's Child For Flint getting injured and needing silver to help shave his head And Anon who wanted an under-the-influence smooch, folded into an idea already on the books of drugged flint silliness. The season three, season four break strikes again. Big thanks to Etoile for the killer edits. Chapter title from Ivy by Taylor Swift. Your touch brought forth an incandescent glow. After the massacre of Charlestown, Silver had been nervous every time Flint left at the forefront of another raid, snarling and raging, raring to wet his muzzle with the fresh blood of those who would cage him. Flint often returned bloodied, silent and grave, breathing heavily underneath the cloth wrapping, obscuring fierce features which had only grown more menacing, more skeletal, more terrifying since the loss of Mrs. Barlow. He'd fully embodied his name, sharp as flint indeed, pared down until nothing but rage and misery remained. The blood his captain would return coated in was not typically his own. Many a night, while fires yet burned on the distant shores of the colonies they visited, Silver had trailed flint wordlessly back to his quarters to dab at minute wounds. Silver had insinuated himself into the space where he knew he was not wanted, but couldn't quite resist intruding upon. It had helped Silver, to set Flint to rights in this way, to carve out this niche by force, demanding Flint's time and attention beyond the business of running the walrus. But this was before the victory at Maroon Island, before quiet conversations in a wooden cage, 
before Silver's desperate confession in the doldrums. Nowadays, Flint's death wish has mostly been quelled, rerouted to a new purpose, and so Silver is far more at ease when Flint leads the vanguard to take the occasional prize. He knows Flint will not take stupid risks for the goal of punishing himself, tempting fate to finally send him to the depths. The walrus has been hunting a few prizes here and there in order to build the stockpile of supplies on Maroon Island in preparation for the coming assault on Nassau, the next step in their war. Therefore, it is without warning that the old fear strikes Silver, lancing deep into his stomach as if he is the one wounded. Flint returns to the walrus, swaying heavily, his right shoulder dripping blood, held aloft on either side by Dooley and Joji as they haul their captain from a launch over the rail of the ship. Suddenly, Silver cannot breathe. How is there so little air out here in the open ocean? Shouldn't the wind come to ease the crawling heat under his skin, the itching anxiety? Captain, what? Silver manages to croak out, voice raspy with the panic he cannot quite conceal. Flint peers up at him with a wince, though it's not quite chagrin. He tries to shrug off Dooley and Joji, batting at them irritably like an overgrown cat. It's nothing, Flint says gruffly. Nothing, Silver repeats faintly, incredulous. His eyes track the blood that plip-plips onto the deck, cataloging the torn fabric of Flint's shirt, the ugly gash. Silver stifles his rising panic and instead scowls, allowing Flint to see every ounce of his displeasure. Of course, of course he's still like this. The conversation in the cage, where Silver had coaxed Flint to consider another way, hadn't miraculously transmuted Flint into a different person after all. It simply changed his course, like a gentle wind in slack sails, pivoted that indomitable will towards living again. Get Howell! Silver snaps briskly at Dooley who hurries to comply. I told you, I'm fine, Flint starts to say. Silver ignores him in favor of nodding at Joji, then gesturing towards Flint's quarters. Take him. Joji obediently moves to haul Flint's stubborn arse that way, the captain in question complaining over his shoulder in Silver's general direction. Hey, you can't just... However, he doesn't resist as he's dragged away. Silver squeezes his eyes shut briefly, gathering a steadying breath as he clenches the rail of the ship hard enough that the wood creaks. If Silver believed in God, he'd perhaps pray for patience. Instead of a few moments of peace, Silver follows after to supervise his danger-prone captain, the regular soft thuds of his peg accompanying him. Jesus Christ, all this fuss over one shallow wound. It barely grazed me. Flint growls, despite evidence to the contrary. Howell quietly stitches up the substantial gash, even as Flint grouses, a long but superficial cut that spans from Flint's right shoulder down to mid-bicep. You've been stabbed, Captain, Silver bites back. You may have come back from the dead once before, but, and this may come as a shock to you, you're not actually invincible, so sit fucking still. This last part is punctuated by the sternest glare Silver can muster. The bickering is comfortable and familiar, a focal point which allows Silver to pour his nervous energy into words instead of hovering. Howell has it well in hand, 
now efficiently and steadily wrapping Flint's shoulder and arm with bandages, then securing it in a sling. For his part, Flint sits there frowning mightily, bare-chested, left hand tapping impatiently on his thigh. However, under Silver's watchful glare, he surrenders to Howell's menstruations without undue fidgeting, simply making his opinion known with the occasional verbal jab. "'I recommend you not use the arm for at least a week, perhaps longer,' Howell says once he's finished rapping. "'And—here the doctor hesitates as Flint makes a loud dismissive sound, mouth opening to protest. Silver clears his throat. "'And—' he prompts, smoothly overriding whatever nonsense was about to leave Flint's mouth. Howell washes his hands in the basin of water near the suspended bunk. Then he turns fully away from Flint to speak to Silver directly— sensing that Silver is the one who will have to enforce this medical advice. It shocks Silver to realize that Howell is likely correct, that he is the only one Flint will suffer to listen to, to be bullied by. He needs to take it easy. Too much exertion will only irritate the wound and risk infection, even fever. A week or two of bed rest, however, and the arm should heal without any complications. Howell gathers his supplies, rolling them back up into a leather pack. We have some laudanum in the hold, the doctor continues. Perhaps best to dose him up so we'll sleep. I am right here, Flint says. I am the captain. It's not quite an indignant squawk, but probably not as menacing or stern as Flint intends. I will see to it, Silver says firmly, still not looking at Flint, ignoring him out of spite but also perhaps because Silver doesn't want to acknowledge how much it unsettles him to see Flint weak, see him bleed, how it makes Silver's gut churn with an unnamed fear. Captain Flint is mortal. Howell raises a skeptical eyebrow at Silver, then flicks a glance back to Flint. The captain's eyebrows are speaking their own complicated language, his ire frothing up just like Eddie's in a tempest liable to swallow them all if left unchecked. No matter. Silver knows how to handle him by now. He nods at Howell. Aye, I'll fetch the laudanum, the doctor agrees. He exits the cabin, leaving them alone again. And no sooner has the door shut than Flint is at it again. You'll see to it, Flint repeats. Am I your charge now, hmm? Is that what this is? You've crowned yourself king of my ship as well while my back was turned. The words themselves are harsh, accusing, but Flint's tone is begrudgingly fond. His captain wears a grumpy expression, put out, but he's not truly angry, simply recalcitrant. Silver pinches the bridge of his nose, feeling a headache coming on. He prepares himself mentally for the tug-of-war Flint's sure to initiate, the struggle and argument Silver will have to win in order to get Flint to actually rest. Silver takes a deep breath. In a week or so, you'll be right back to stirring up fire and mayhem and revolution, he begins reasonably, striking a conjoling tone. Silver moves forward slowly, but surely, as he speaks. He's fairly nimble on the peg these days, even aboard a rocking ship, and proud that he only demonstrates a slight hitch in his gait. He steps close enough to poke Flint right in the center of his bare chest. The skin is warm under his fingertip the chest hair softer than expected. Silver cannot even find it in himself to be shocked at his own audacity. He has taken these risks with Flint from day one, after all, insinuating himself into Flint's space, talking down the beast with a knife to his throat. 
It's been... Well, it's worked out a moderate amount. But for now... Silver continues poking again for emphasis. For now, you will sit still. You will take the goddamn laudanum and you will rest. So it's been decided then, has it? Flint asked, an eyebrow raised. Yes, Silver asserts, calm and sure, staring down at Flint. It has. Flint scoffs. It's a bit hypocritical of you to demand I take medicine for a little scratch when you mulishly refused your own after an amputation. Flint's green eyes spark with something that isn't quite irritation, not with the way his cheek is fighting a twitch upwards. And miracle of miracles, it seems Silver's already won. Flint will capitulate, will listen to him. The rest is simply a dance, a scripted performance. And Silver knows these steps well after so many months of study. Well, perhaps you should have ordered me to take it, Captain, Silver says, smiling with teeth, letting an edge creep into his voice. But you were somewhat preoccupied at the time. There's a flash of regret across Flint's features, that twitchy little wince of his cheek that communicates guilt. Good. Flint had been a right bastard during that time. Both of them had had their own excuses for being unpleasant company after the events of Charlestown, both suffering in their own way. However, Silver hadn't taken his misery out on Flint or the crew, had not become a vengeful wraith carved to such a sharp point that he could do naught but wound everyone around him. Silver holds Flint's regretful gaze for several long moments, letting it sink in. Then he says, more gently, "'Lucky for you,' This endeavor has my full attention. It's over with now anyway. They settled it long ago on a rowboat, beset by razor-toothed predators. They are what they are, both splintered, cracked, replastered imperfectly, but seaworthy enough, jagged edges sealed enough, at least, that they will no longer inadvertently cut each other to ribbons. There's no sense in letting Flint indulge his tendency towards guilt, towards blaming himself for everything. I will personally see to it that you make a full recovery, even if I have to drag you kicking and screaming, Silver quips with a smirk. He knows full well the absurdity of this statement, the sheer power differential that still exists between them. Regardless of the many hours Flint had spent drilling sword lessons into Silver up on the cliffs, Silver holds no illusions as to his physical ability to overpower Flint in any real way. Flint's wearing a rueful little smile, which has finally fought its way through his feigned peak. No, Silver will never be able to beat him in a fight. However, what is perhaps more startling, more seductive, is the fact that Silver will have his way. But it will be because Flint folds to him, chooses to, bears his neck, and surrenders willingly. That power is addictive, hypnotic, and dangerous. More dangerous than laudanum, certainly. It makes Silver light-headed. Howell raps at the door, breaking the spell. He delivers the medication to Silver's waiting hand and immediately slips out again. Silver wordlessly pours a draught for Flint, whose eyes do not leave Silver's as he knocks it back obediently. Flint swallows demonstratively as if to make a show of following Silver's directive to prove his utter submission. Satisfied, Flint rasps, his tone low and private, just audible. Silver's throat is suddenly dry, and he has to avert his eyes, 
the tension in the room is palpable, and he can still feel Flint's eyes boring into him regardless. I will be when you rest, Silver replies, attempting to come across forbidding, but his voice emerges fainter than intended. Flint sets the cup on the table beside his bunk, laying back against the pillow dutifully. Aye, aye, Mr. Quartermaster, Flint says softly, a little smile playing across his lips. Silver's stomach flips, as if he's seasick for the first time. It doesn't last. Flint's easy acquiescence expires quickly, all told. His restless boredom bubbles over in a mere three days' time of laying in bed mending shirts, napping, reading, and poking about the cabin. As often as he can during Flint's forced convalescence, Silver has spent time in the cabin. He sits beside Flint as he attempts to read, though often the drug causes Flint to nod off in the middle. When this happens, Silver will simply pull the book from Flint's limp grasp, mark his place, and set it aside for the moment. Mostly, Silver just watches while Flint snoozes peacefully, which brings Silver an unspecified peace as well. The rhythm of Flint's breaths, the way his chest rises and falls, knowing where Flint is, knowing he's safe, it all fulfills a deep ache in Silver, and he likes it more than he cares to admit. But his visits have been fewer than he would have liked. Silver has had little free time, busy being acting captain as well as quartermaster. More than sufficient time has passed. It barely hurts anymore, Flint insists, the dread pirate sounding more like a wheedling child than the terror of the high seas. Flint has developed a bad habit in the last few days of picking incessantly at his sling and bandages, and is at it once again. Silver sighs heavily, pauses in the measuring of Flint's daily dose of laudanum, setting the cup down on the side table. Silver reaches out to physically still Flint's fingers from fiddling with his wound dressings, placing the captain's hands back into his lap. You may be an even worse patient than I was, Silver mutters. Here, he shoves the cup under Flint's nose. Nap time, Captain. Flint frowns petulantly at the pewter mug. I know what this is. I figured it out. This entire mollycoddling nonsense is simply so you can incapacitate your captain. Then you can run the ship as you please. Despite Flint's scowl and the accusation, his voice again holds a teasing lilt that makes something warm curl in Silver's gut. A feeling like some contented beast dozing before a fire. Aw, oh, you caught me, Silver says dryly. You've sussed out my long con. Congratulations. He stares at Flint expectantly. Come now, Flint. Surely you don't need me to hold the cup for you. It's a bit laughable, the thought that Silver might be able to pour medication down Flint's throat if he truly didn't want it. Instead, Silver simply holds his stare and lets the bluff stand. Finally, Flint sighs in defeat and takes the laudanum in one swallow. Silver nods in approval, reaching to take back the cup. As he does, their fingers brush distractingly, Flint still watching Silver closely as he settles back to recline against the pillow. His eyes seem darker, the green like a thicket, like the maroon jungle, something to get lost in. Flint has once again forgone his shirt, and Silver struggles not to stare. But he's nothing if not greedy to catalogue every single detail of Captain Flint. Under the pretense of checking the bandages, 
assuring that the sling is sitting properly. Silver's eyes track along that powerful frame, the comforting width and breadth of his captain. The sheer amount of freckles on the man is ridiculous, frankly. They cluster densely along Flint's shoulders, fading down towards his chest where the skin sees less sun. It's such a soft, human trait, and Silver fights the urge to chuckle in delight. Then he catches sight of a bead of sweat sliding down the column of Flint's neck, disappearing into his chest hair, and Silver no longer finds anything funny. Flint hasn't picked his book back up, has not resumed the cadence of their bickering. He simply lounges against the bulkhead like some overfed beast, blinking placidly at Silver. He seems content to just rest there while Silver looks his fill, staring without speaking for far longer than is polite. Silver lowers himself into the chair, clearing his throat in an attempt to shake off his fit of apparent insanity. He is all set to deem it another successful day, Flint having taken the laudanum without much issue, and settled down to monitor his captain until he falls asleep. But then, after a few serene moments, Flint begins again to shift restlessly. He repositions his pillow, grumbles, then sits up fully and scratches at the back of his head in apparent annoyance. Soon after, he makes a motion as if to get up. Silver is quicker, though his peg creaks and his leg protests the sudden movement. Silver glares down at Flint, looming to the best of his ability, one hand prohibitively on Flint's uninjured shoulder to stop him from leaving the bunk. What are you doing? I swear to God, Captain, the ship isn't going to explode just because you're not up there to bark orders for a few days. Silver snaps. Stay put. For fuck's sake, Flint growls in frustration. I wasn't going to leave the cabin. His voice is already a little slurred from the opiate, and he squirms again in discomfort, muscles shifting against Silver's palm, the skin warm and humid. Flint refuses to lay back down, but neither does he make an attempt to fight against Silver's hold. My head is itchy, Flint grumbles. Silver simply blinks at him. Flint blows out an impatient sigh. My hair, he explains. This is usually the length at which I would shave it. Flint rubs his left hand over the top of his head in demonstration. When Silver looks closer, indeed, Flint's scalp is covered in a more substantial layer of orange fuzz than is typical, more hair than Silver has seen since before Charlestown. The sun streaming through the window of the cabin makes the hair glow around Flint's head like a copper halo. Angelic only insofar as Milton's Lucifer, too, was once an angel. Silver huffs out a sharp breath in disbelief. Jesus Christ, is that all? Just... Silver squeezes Flint's shoulder, coaxing him to settle back. I'll do it. You still aren't supposed to be using your right arm anyway. Silver doesn't wait for assent, simply moves away to rifle through Flint's personal belongings. He's seen Flint go through the motions of grooming himself enough times to easily locate the shaving implements. Silver finds the razor, leather strop, lather brush, and a precious bar of soap all tucked neatly into Flint's sea chest beside spare shirts. Folded, of course. Navy discipline intact, Silver thinks, mouth twitching in a half-smile. Bloody haranguing nursemaid instead of a quartermaster, Flint mutters darkly from somewhere behind him. I heard that, Silver throws back over his shoulder. He returns to Flint, 
laying the shaving tools out on the chair so they're in easy reach. Be nicer to your nursemaid, or he'll leave you to suffer. If both Flint's arms were free, Silver thinks he might cross them sulkily at this very moment. Ever thought of letting it grow back out? Silver asks, readying the blade by stropping it back and forth against the leather. Next, he lathers the brush with soap and water from the basin. Flint has scooted to perch on the edge of the bunk in preparation. God, no. It goes through quite an awkward stage between this. Here, Flint gestures at his scalp and the proper ponytail. I'd be laughed off the next prize we tried to take. Besides, you have enough hair for both of us. Flint reaches forward to wind a corkscrew curl around his left forefinger, pulling gently and then letting it go to watch it spring back. He chuckles warmly. Silver coughs, cheeks feeling flushed all of a sudden. He holds up the foamy brush as if it'll protect him from the effect of Flint's idle touching. Okay, it's ready. I'll just... Silver hesitates for a beat before stepping forward into the space between Flint's legs, which have fallen open to make room for him. It brings Silver to the correct position and proper height to be able to apply lather to Flint's scalp. But now he's also close enough to hear Flint's soft breaths, to feel the heat of his inner thighs bracketing Silver's. Silver is able to observe in great detail the play of freckles across Flint's fair complexion, the way they catch the sun and light up like constellations. There's quite an excess of ginger hair, and not just on Flint's scalp, but everywhere. On his forearms, his chest, the soft swell of his belly, which fills and empties with breath in a calm, slow rhythm. Silver can see the fine lines at the corners of Flint's eyes, eyes which are glassy and blown out from the drugging effect of the laudanum, glimmering with unadorned contentedness as they look up at Silver from under drooping lids, while a fond little smile plays across Flint's lips. Silver can see everything. If given free rein, Silver would stare and study this new version of Flint indefinitely. And so, to preserve his own wits, Silver cuts himself off. He places a hand on Flint's nape and pulls him forward slightly, bracing Flint's head against Silver's body. It will make this part easier, since his captain is groggy and less coordinated than usual. Flint goes easily, movements sluggish as if he's swimming through molasses, his forehead tipping down to rest against Silver's torso, such that Silver can no longer see the expression on Flint's face and is no longer tempted to stare. Silver exhales in relief. Without further comment, Silver begins to apply the wet lather onto Flint's scalp. The tendons of Flint's neck flex and then relax under Silver's palm. Flint settles his weight comfortably against Silver, gone nearly boneless, but it's not such that it risks toppling Silver. How do you know how to do this? Flint murmurs. Your own beard hasn't seen a razor in fucking months. He lets the insult pass. It's true besides. But Silver doesn't have a snappy or clever answer. The truth is far too bare. Too embarrassing. But Flint speaks again, answering his own question. Hmm, watching me. Of course. Silver simply continues, thoroughly covering the prickle of Flint's scalp with soap very aware of the flush of his own cheeks and of Flint's voice rumbling in his chest with every word. Once Silver finishes with the lather, 
He trades the brush for the blade. It glints in the sun, honed fine, kept in impeccable condition. Naturally, Flint would settle for nothing less. Silver guides Flint away from his body, careful not to smudge any of the soap, and immediately misses the warmth of him. Sleepy green eyes blink up at Silver. Flint's limbs are loose, and he makes a questioning sound in the back of his throat. You must be absolutely still for this next bit, lest I cut you, Silver says warningly. That means no incessant wiggling. Flint nods in understanding, the motion languorous. But a mere moment later, he's shifting in Silver's grasp as Silver moves the razor to his head. Flint's left hand reaches up as if to scratch his head, changes course to his beard, which he smooths and fidgets with restlessly. Silver huffs, grabbing Flint's wrist to still it. Flint startles in slow motion. Captain, what did I just say? Flint grimaces. I'm sorry, I'm... It's... The laudanum makes everything feel... Strange. To the touch. I'm serious, Flint, Silver says, letting a bit of humor creep in. I'll tie you to the bunk if I have to. It's an idle threat. Offhand and half a joke. But Flint goes still and quiet. Unfocused eyes hold a spark of interest that makes Silver's breath catch. Yes. Do that. Flint agrees. Silver simply stares at him. It is almost but not quite the same tone from the campfire. I wouldn't worry too much. Or from the cliffs. I'll take my chances. Perhaps it's just another opportunity to test Silver, to see how far he'll go with this. Perhaps Flint is wondering how much of himself Silver has internalized, how much mysterious darkness Silver has absorbed, how far Silver will shift to meet Flint's every challenge. Silver cannot blame him. He often wonders these things himself. The man John Silver was before Nassau, before Captain Flint and the crew of the Walrus, would hardly recognize who he's become. Utter madman, Silver mutters, with an edge of brusque affection. You're serious. It's the only way you can be sure I won't move, Flint says quietly. He's muzzy from the drugs, but nonetheless sounds completely certain underneath that fog. Take it out of my hands, please. Silver swallows thickly. Hand, you mean, he says lightly. The right is already immobile. Silver gestures to the sling. Flint doesn't reply, simply watches and waits, gaze steady and sure. Silver realizes that he will follow through with this entreaty some inescapable feeling possessing him to do so. Flint has asked him, after all. Silver eyes the cabin considering. He locates a loose length of rope coiled up on the cannon side of Flint's bed and quickly retrieves it. When Silver shuffles back over, he doesn't look Flint in the eye, but instead focuses on his left hand and forearm as he fiddles with the ropes. Flint helpfully grips one of the ropes suspending the bed with his left arm, just at eye level. The arm is as dappled with freckles and dusted with ginger hair as the rest of him. The muscles are hard-earned. The knuckles permanently roughened and red from fighting. Nails caked in what could be dirt or blood or both. Hands and arms that Silver knows are capable of great violence. Silver takes the coil of rope, 
and first wraps it carefully around Flint's wrist, securing him with a sturdy sailor's knot, and then fastens it to the rigging of the bulk. Silver double-checks the tightness of the rope, assuring that it doesn't threaten to pinch or chafe Flint's wrist as his fist clenches, then relaxes around the rigging. The tension in the cabin is thrumming, thick enough to cut with a knife. Good? Silver asks in a low tone. His throat is strangely dry, the words scraped out of him. Yes. Good. Flint echoes, his breathing slow and even, shoulders relaxing. They're both aware that Flint is far from helpless like this. Silver's not work isn't the best on the ship, even after months of correction and practice. Besides, Silver has seen his captain regain the upper hand against far worse odds. It's the act itself of being tied, the symbolism of restraint, which seems to settle something in Flint, and he ceases the excess movement from before. When Silver at last places one hand on Flint's face in order to both brace and maneuver him, spanning from his jaw up along his cheek, Flint just sighs softly. He moves exactly where Silver puts him, without resistance, and then stays there. Silver holds his breath, dragging the razor from the very nape of Flint's neck, across the skull, ending at his hairline. It's a perfect line in the soap, a perfect line of hair removed. Flint miraculously and thankfully holds completely still under his hands, and Silver exhales softly and continues. Long moments pass with just the soft sound of breathing of the blade scraping against hair combined with the ever-present shifting and creaking of the ship with the waves. The intimacy of the act strikes Silver. The closeness, the feeling of wet lather beneath his fingertips, how he must cradle Flint's very skull in his hand, turning his head this way and that. Silver removes damp orange hair in long swaths, pausing to wipe the blade on a towel every few passes. Silver swallows, Flustered suddenly at the realization of where he is, what he's doing, that Flint is letting him do it. Despite the restraints, despite the sharp object in range of Flint's face, throat, eyes, all desperately vulnerable spots, despite this, Flint is utterly loose and calm, not struggling in the slightest. Heat crawls under Silver's skin like a thousand fire ants, and he's overwhelmed with complicated emotions, churning in his gut like a whirlpool. But he's already started the process, and must see it through. Otherwise, Flint might still try to shave by himself. Silver clears his throat. I'm known as something of a cruel and wanton murderer these days. And you're letting me at you with a razor blade? He says breezily, a joke about the weapon escaping Silver's mouth before he can stop himself but it is a suitable distraction from holding his captain's head in his hands, from the breath against Silver's wrist every few passes, from the way Flint looks younger like this, a little indolent under the touch. I trust you, Flint says, soft and immediate. When Silver looks down in surprise, Flint's eyes aren't even open. His eyelashes are translucent in the sunlight, his forehead smoothed of the usual fierce wrinkles, mouth parted and slightly lax. He no longer looks like a pirate or a dangerous man, let alone the most feared pirate captain this side of the West Indies. 
Somehow, he's even more dangerous like this. To Silver, at least. The addictive pull of Flint's vulnerability makes something in Silver itch and struggle. Something insane that wants to hide Flint in his pocket. Burrow into him. Consume him whole, all at once. You did a good job, earning that trust, Flint continues. Silver shears more hair from his scalp in slow, even sweeps of the blade. Unable to muster a response, every pass reveals more smooth, clean skin, lightly pinked from the friction. Silver perhaps lingers longer than is necessary, rubbing his thumb over each new patch of tender flesh, pulsing with Flint's blood, delicate and exposed, and so close, so easily cut if Silver is not careful. Always there to pull me out of trouble, Flint says, earnest and laden with emotion. And even now, you're still taking such good care of me. Flint hums, eyes still closed. I couldn't have done any of it without you, you know. Would have fallen apart immediately. I'm fortunate you decided it was worth your time. Silver focuses on the task before him, attempting to keep his voice even. Now I'm not sure that's true. He forces a chuckle, attempting to steer the conversation back to their usual banter, instead of drifting into perilous waters that Silver doesn't know how to navigate. You're giving me far too much credit. You never give yourself enough, Flint responds without hesitation. Silver pauses, struck by the statement, cutting as keenly into him as if by Flint's own sword. The words pour from Flint now, continuous, as if Flint is having his own conversation, which no longer requires Silver to respond. You're so clever. You see the problem before I do every time. The people and the landscape of their relationships. Flint begins, the unfiltered musings oozing a rueful, soft fondness. It's as if he's peeling back the layers of Silver one by one, holding them up to the light, utterly delighted by what he finds. And then you make it all click into place, solve it like a puzzle, so easily and effectively, so smoothly maneuvering them all, even me, that it seems as if you barely did anything at all. But I know. I see. I can't do that, what you do. Gates could, and Billy to some extent, but you... The crew have never been as productive, as obedient, as cohesive a unit as when you began rallying them, whispering to them like snake charmer, with a song as sweet as one of Homer's sirens. Long moments pass. Silver is drowning in Flint's words, swamped with wave after wave of feeling. A deep ache grows in him that needs to touch, to move to action. It wells up tender and raw and all-encompassing. Silver is spilling over. Embarrassingly, his eyes prickle and burn with moisture, and he has to choke down tears. This is why I don't take laudanum, Silver forces out, strained, desperately trying to distract Flint from this line of thought. It's not... it's not safe. Not real. His captain is addled, and so there's no reason to read too deeply into the blissed-out expression, the near-reverent praise... A person is liable to admit to anything. Flint opens his eyes and looks directly into Silver's soul. What's left to confess? 
he asks. Then Flint's mouth curves up at the side, almost wickedly so. I'm transparent, do you remember? Silver is suddenly back on the cliffs, sand bleached out harshly by the sun and exposed by Flint's assertion. The wounded look on Flint's face, then, is nothing like now. On the cliffs he'd sounded mournful, the chasm between them stretching impossibly wider by the words, the history that Silver was unable to share. But now, Flint sounds playful rather than resigned, as if it is comfortable to be so known by Silver. Captain, I... Silver is helpless. Blade paused in its work. He's trapped in the tempest that is those green, green eyes, mouth open but unable to muster a response. Thankfully, he is saved from his stammering by Flint speaking yet again. Whatever have I done to deserve such a thing? Having a beautiful man to dote on me like this? Flint murmurs, low and flirty, his head tilted mischievously. Something... something terrible, surely, Silver says weakly. Flint drags his eyes up and down Silver, chuckling darkly. Terrible, Flint repeats, looking utterly enraptured. Silver's face is on fire. The drugs are clearly playing games with his captain's head, and so he quickly returns to his task. There's little hair left to shave. Part of Silver wants to be finished with it as soon as possible so he can flee. Another not insignificant part wants to reside in this moment forever. Flint's unguarded feelings and thoughts filling the small space of air between them, the earnest praise wrapping around Silver like a blanket. The look in Flint's eyes is full of too much as he blinks muzzily at Silver, as if Silver is some rare treasure, some divine gift, as if Flint could want nothing more than to be here with Silver, to gaze on him, to be touched carefully by him. Silver swallows hard. That way lies madness. I like it when you're stern with me. Stay put. I'll see to it. Drink this or else, Captain. Silver blinks at the non-sequitur. Now that Flint has begun, he's positively chatty, commenting aimlessly upon every little thought that enters his head. Took a bit, but you really are just a bossy little shit. You'll have nothing less than all of your demands met. That's rich coming from you, Silver responds, more breathless than intended, finishing up Flint's sideburns now. Silver lost the thread of the conversation some time ago, if he ever even had it. But finally, Flint's scalp is smooth and fresh as a newborn baby's. The skin there is paler than the rest of his face, less weathered by wind, salt, and sun, protected as it usually is from the elements by the fuzzy shroud of hair. Silver picks up the towel and brushes the excess lather off of Flint, taking his time until not a speck of soap remains. Finally, the task is complete, and he must step away. He quickly cleans and stores the shaving implements, wrapping them back in the leather strip. With a deep breath, he unpicks the knot at Flint's wrist, relishing the brush of skin on skin, drawing out these moments of closeness before he must inevitably withdraw. Once Flint is freed, Silver takes a moment to examine his wrist for marks, massaging the tendon and muscle until he can no longer pretend it's for the sake of circulation. Okay, 
You're all done, Captain, Silver says quietly. But even so, his voice cuts through the stillness of the air. He's not disappointed. He's not. This is for the best. Best to leave Flint to sleep, to forget all the strange confessions, the enamored looks. Silver turns to leave the cabin. Sleep well, he starts to say. Flint's left hand moves quickly for a drugged man, darting out to grab hold of Silver's arm. As Silver expected, his captain is far from helpless in this state. Silver furrows his brow in confusion, but lets himself be pulled, stepping back into Flint's space. Flint keeps tugging, reeling Silver in, all the way down until he's close enough to see the gold specks in his left iris. Flint kisses him, almost chaste, but lingering. It is mostly close-mouthed, just a light sliding of lips, though for a moment the hot wetness of Flint's mouth touches Silver's tongue. The sensation zings through Silver as if he's been struck by lightning. He feels it in every part of him, even in the toes he no longer has. Flint touches Silver's cheek lightly. Thanks, love. He breathes against Silver's lips, like an afterthought, as if it's normal, expected, to thank Silver for his assistance with a kiss. Silver blinks rapidly, trying desperately to process, stunned. He stands stock still, barely daring to breathe, lest he break the moment. Flint's thumb rubs idly against the inside of Silver's wrist, where Silver's blood pulses wildly. Silver wants to chase Flint, to dive back in and kiss him, hard and claiming, to memorize his captain in this new way until he can hardly breathe, until his lips sting. This first taste, it's everything. It's not enough. It's... But then Flint sinks back against the bulkhead, arranging himself for maximum comfort. His eyes well and truly drooping, though his hand still clutches Silver's wrist like a brand. Silver is adrift in a torrent of emotion, spinning, the deck floating out from under him, and the only anchor is that touch. Wish you could stay, Flint says, as if nothing strange has happened, as if they do this all the time. Flint yawns, large and jaw-cracking, in a way that shouldn't be endearing, but by God, it still is. Flint looks up at him, beseeching, and Silver is ruined. Can you? Stay for a bit? I know you're keeping the ship in order for both of us, but just until I fall asleep at least, Flint asks quietly, that stream of consciousness murmuring unabated, and he's half asleep already, his eyes fighting to stay open. Silver knows his captain's face, has memorized its many forms, furious, covered in blood, wretched, weary, gaunt and half-starved, fond, teasing, but none are as beautiful as this expression. Flint is peaceful. The cares sloughed off him as surely as the copper bristle Silver removed from his skull. It's as if Flint truly does trust Silver with anything, with everything, to take care of any problems that arise while he truly rests for once. He's utterly human like this, soft, yielding flesh, simply a mortal man, 
but the realization doesn't scare Silver this time. Flint is seemingly as placid as a tide pool, but it's an illusion, for Silver knows well the deadly undertow beneath the smooth, glassy surface of that water, and indeed everything about Flint threatens to sweep Silver into that current, to ruin his careful control, the way Flint is open and soft and perfect, begging to be held, touched, doted upon. This expression is not quite his captain, no, but neither is it entirely James McGraw. Instead, Silver gazes upon some amalgam of both facets, dark and light, making a whole, until it's simply this bewitching conundrum of a man who has taken up residence in Silver's heart, filling him up with something, something that makes Silver worthy for the first time in his life. Overcome, Silver leans down, brushing a light kiss across Flint's brow. It is the most reciprocation he'll allow himself while Flint is in this befuddled state. Silver's yet unsure how much of this affection is a result of the laudanum, but he hopes against hope that Flint meant it. Even this small touch cracks through Silver like the endless waves against the shore during heavy weather. Flint hums deep in his chest at the caress, then nestles deeper into his bunk, as content as a tamed tiger, if such a thing is possible. Flint still has a hold of his wrist, and Silver takes care not to break his grip as he sits again in the chair. He scoots a bit closer to the bunk, so as to watch over Flint as he sleeps. Yes, Silver says softly. I'll stay. I'm so excited to be joined on today's episode by the brilliant Jay Noves, a fanfic author well on her way to iconic status in the Black Sails fandom. I'm quite sure she'd scoff at this, but her novel-length Breakup AU gets mentioned with reverential tones, as well as with tones of, fuck you, Jay, what have you done to me? A response equally valid and no less respectful, given the level of emotional anguish inflicted by sheer force of will. I'm beyond excited to sit down with her, so let's dive right in. All right. Well, Jay Noves, welcome to Reading Between the Lines. It is fantastic to have you. And before we get started, I know you wrote the whole series, the Soft Verse series, Somebody Loved, You Turned Me Into Somebody Loved, uh, with a writing partner. Did you want to give them a shout out? Yes. So Bren uh, or Brenanza, that's their full handle, helped me write the first chapter, the, the grumpy nap chapter with uh, where Silver Flint take a nap right as they are becalmed in the doldrums. And, uh, and then the, the other three chapters are, uh, there's the ear piercing one, Silver gets his ears pierced, uh, the head shaving one, which I know we're talking about today. And then the, I published another one recently, which is their hand holding in the maroon cages. Um, so a bunch of, bunch of soft wish fulfillment from the boys there. <laughs> so when did you first discover black sales? Um, so <laughs> December, 2020, uh, pretty, which was still pretty heavy lockdown. My best friend and I were daily trying to figure out what to watch to fill all of the time because we were stuck inside and we were just sort of tooling around Hulu. I'd seen a little bit of Black Sails stuff by Tumblr osmosis, but 
no no big spoilers um really just enough to know that there was canon queer content somewhere in there i didn't necessarily know what it was but i knew mm -hmm. that it existed and so yeah we were just looking at hulu and my memory pinged down. i was like oh pirate show queer stuff okay because <laughs> um, i something to know about me is i love pirates like all the way back to baby j baby j's big fandoms were uh, some of them were pirates of the caribbean and and one piece um i just love the trappings of pirates um and so yeah i was like sure let's watch the pirate show of course this is gonna make me feel better and yeah i was kind of hooked immediately like literally in the first 10 seconds <laughs> I know not everyone has that experience so I I'm in the main tag constantly I've been in the black sales main tag for two years now like every day I check it like my newspaper mm -hmm. um and uh and a lot of people are turned off by the show and then they have to come back to it like pretty much yeah. everyone I meet is yeah. not hooked immediately they sort of need time to come back to it and I'm like okay guys that's not my experience I, I answered, I, I wrote this down for another part of a different question, but I feel like it, it fits here too. I saw Silver and I was just like, yeah, I'm going to watch the whole show for this guy. Like it turned out that the whole show was amazing, but I've, I've been known to watch a show for one character before. And, uh, he got us little hooks in me, uh, pretty much in the first three seconds he was on screen. Yeah. I think with Silver's introduction, he tends to be very polarizing you either love Silver immediately or you're just like, who is this little weasel? I love, I, yeah, I love weasels is the thing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I love con men. I love wiggle warm, snaky chaos survivalists who are out for themselves. I love them because they're usually full of trauma and they figured out that li like life's taught them that the safest way to be is to only be out for themselves. And I love peeling them open. So yeah. The you're a coward. Oh yeah, you too. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm gonna um I'm here for this this Loki coded bitch. I'm gonna, what yeah. he's gonna get up to for forever. Like um yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and I think people do um have mixed feelings about season one, but one thing that I think is strong from the get-go is the characterizations. Um, mm -hmm. you know, the characterizations and the writing. There's a lot of uh, shoehorning that you see in the first few episodes of trying to uh, shove stuff in to get the Game of Thrones audience to pull in the previous Spartacus audience that was the show right before. But you still could see the bare bones and the the skeleton of, of what it would become, how amazing it would become. And I think that shows up uh, immediately with both Silver's and Flint's dialogue. It's just really strong from the get-go. So what resonated for you the most with Black Sails? Uh, whether it's uh, something that, you know, you use as a touchstone to other media or something that uh, you found that was wholly, wholly unique. It's some of the most fantastic storytelling I've ever seen. It's re really, it's everything about it. I, I tend to focus on Silver and Flint, but if put in a room and asked only to talk about you know, other characters, I, I could, and about the set design, and I could just gush about all, I mean, um, the queer narratives, the disability narratives, marginalized identities struggling together against, you know, empire and hegemony, uh, the set design, the music, the acting, the script, the editing, it all hits. Uh, I, I've been, we've been doing a rewatch in the event server recently, and I've been sort of gushing and rambling about, listen, guys, one of the reasons this show is the best show that I've ever seen is because everybody showed up 
and put a hundred percent in. There are like not even secondary characters. There are there are like tertiary characters who that actor is doing their their best work, right? Like, mm. and I love watching them. Like, there are off scenes where it's just Naft and Lawrence chatting. You know, these are tertiary characters, and it's still amazing. I love listening to the dialogue. Those guys are you know giving it their all, and literally that's that's every scene. So I mean, I just like I said, I just really love pirates. Um, <laughs> Also, I mean, that's a big pull for me. The trappings of Age of Sail have always compelled me. Um, I love situations on boats. Um, Something about the extremes of the setting uh, and piracy is where outcasts get to make their living in on their terms as much as possible in a hostile world, which is really inspiring. But I also just, I just love the sea, you know, and vessels and, uh, mm. people people in in period clothing and uh the you know the the linguistics the dialogue um of it it's just it just really something about it gets me um and but but i i feel like i feel like for me a piece of media because black sales is kind of the tour de force it is everything mm-hmm. but the the things that really strike me about um media that i tend to latch onto in general and that I was watching Black Sales 4 in the first place and that I was paying attention to before everything else was compelling character dynamics. So it's just tailor-made for me because it's, it's every, every character, you know, has a mess, some messy thing going on with some other mm-hmm. character. Um, Silver Flint is, you know, sort of looms large in my mind at all times, but they get paralleled and echoed by so many of the other relationships in the story Mm, which is great um to give context on me liking messy toxic codependent stuff like my previous big fandom was Hannibal so of course (laughs) so so Black Sails is like it takes parts of the Caribbean which is baby Jay and then more mature Jay's Hannibal and it's just both of it's both of them yeah yeah exactly together you get Black Sails and and you don't just get that you get a whole bunch of other stuff of bonus that you didn't even expect to get people who love you and betray you anyway you can't live with them you can't live without them uh Mm -hmm. people who make you both better and worse at the same time they haunt you they're in your veins and in soul that's what hooks me and that's the meaty like chompable intoxicating thing for me in media and this show is it's a buffet it is chock full of that you could psychoanalyze everybody's dynamics forever if i ever dig out of silver flint hell uh, you know, dig out of that hyperfixation. I could write endless things about Max and Eleanor. I could write endless things about Eleanor and Vane, or you know, Vane and Teach, uh, or Jack and Vane. Like everybody has a big web, a big toxic, messy web in that. <laughs> that one post yeah. about the polycule that keeps growing and 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 is you know the drama of the island. It's yeah, um, yeah. It's 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 intoxicating. It's great. Yeah, it's and it's yeah, Shakespearean in its scope of humanity. And that's one of the selling points when I'm telling everyone that I know to watch Black Sails. Is it's yes, it's like if Shakespeare wrote a pirate show, because the dialogue is it just the writing is so good. 
and the internal drama is so good. And it's literally that idea of, no, I can't fix you, but I will make you worse. And it is. Yeah. I love that. I love making it worse. (laughs) Yes. Anyone who's read my stuff knows that I love making it worse. Oh my God. Okay. And so the all too well verse uh, specifically (laughs) took me to the depths of hell. And I just, there were times I literally had to put it down and look away and I'm like, okay, I don't know if I am ready for this right now. Ultimate compliment. So, (laughs) so heavy, but it's so good. Like it is so just so all encompassing in terms of the emotion and um, distilling these characters. And that's one of the reasons that I absolutely adore modern AUs is because the way you can take and distill a character mm-hmm. down to who they truly are apart from their trauma mm-hmm. and take them out of that world, put them in a modern setting and, and poke them with sticks. Yeah, and that's basically <laughs> what you're doing. And it's like uh-huh. seeing how they would react. And if the writers of the show have done their job well, then you're going to see them react in all these different scenarios because they have given you such rich characters and it's the writers it's the actors everybody combining together because there is text and then there is subtext and like the caliber of the performances where they're giving you so much subtext and honestly the that the writers are admitting hey that subtext you're supposed to see it. It was meant to be in there. We told them they could do it and they Mm -hmm. did it. (laughs) They sure did. They certainly did. Like there's, there's no getting around that. And like, you know, choices were made. Oh yeah. So honestly, it could fill a whole episode just to sit here and have me ramble about that. Um, for (laughs) for sure, for sure. I I've done it. I've done it now for two years. It, it, you know, rambling in people's DMS, rambling in servers and also writing, trying to write it out. And I'm still fixated and hooked in. Uh, like 300,000 words later, I'm not fixed. I'm not over it. So, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like it's, it just keeps going. I, I did want to say I'm, I'm very, I'm very flattered that, uh, a, a bet, you know, you had to like put breakup AU down at times because it really was setting myself a challenge to see if I could replicate the emotions caused by the show. <laughs> and caused by the ending of the show and the finale in in a completely different setting with different stakes yeah and, oh congratulations um, fetal position honest oh, to god so glad I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm also i'm sorry but i'm not sorry because that was because that's what steinberg and levine did to me yes you know? oh my god um th- that that's what they did to me and i was like you know what <laughs> what if what if i could leave them standing in the woods in a modern au with completely different setting and events what if I could pause them what if I could do an ambiguous ending and have people feel like they didn't know what happened in the same way as the show and you have to make your own make your own ending and what a what a heck of a challenge but so many people have told me that that you know that it worked and uh yeah it's continually flattering to hear that my my baby my giant novel of a modern AU um continues to sort of affect people in that way and that like I love when people engage with it and when they go on that journey because it's a journey into the inferno and it's not super fun. Uh, it's not like gonna make you feel good, but um, yeah. But also, it's my favorite thing I've ever written, and I spent a year doing it, and I, 
I gave it all my blood, sweat and tears. So, oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely stunning. And what makes it work so well, and I know we're not covering this oh, right now, but like, I, I'm gonna, I'm literally gonna geek out on no, it. You're fine. You know, what makes it work so well is there are so many times where you read something and it is this artificial trauma. It is this artificial miscommunication that mm-hmm. is so easily solved. This, in this scenario, this is not something that is easily solved. This is deep, deep trauma. This is something where you do wonder, are they broken? And it is horribly sad and it is devastating. And it does bring you to the precipice of 409 going into 410. It really, really does because you're like, why, why, Uh why can't you just move on from this? But maybe maybe something broke him and yeah. it just is so sad i'm so pleased. Um, like you're, you're just you're you're yeah you're feeding me back exactly what i wanted to do which was um make the problem such that even if there's no war there's no revolution there's not none of that violence or the trappings of the setting that they are problems that feel like they can't just be untangled with one fell swoop I I thought so long about their individual damage and how it would sort of be shifted in this new setting and how they would butt heads and talk past each other. And then by the time you get to a point where they could reconcile on one problem, 30 more problems had been creating that web. Because again, I've also read stories, not just fan fiction, but watched a lot of TV, read a lot of, um, you know, romance stuff where it's like, this is contrived. I know how to solve this. I'm very good at conflict resolution. And to like be standing outside of it saying that I wanted it to be where the reader couldn't sort of decide whose whose side or whose corner they wanted to be in because both were right and wrong at the same time and that they couldn't figure out an easy way to solve it either because to solve it would be to make each character less of themselves in some way or like yeah. take them out of their um and that's how that's how canon feels to me that they're both right and wrong at the same time they're both yeah made for each other and the worst thing for each other at the same time and um and I'm so happy to hear you sort of like, <laughs> oh, like yeah, Jay, it, ru- it ruined my life. Thanks so yeah. much. <laughs> um, <laughs> so one of the things about taking the characters out of canon is you have to acknowledge that you can take away everything that happens officially in canon in terms of the setting that they're mm-hmm. in. So you can take them out of that. But Silver's trauma, whatever happened to Silver is pre-canon you cannot subtract him from that because we don't know enough about silver's trauma to take that away from him it is ingrained in his character oh yeah so you pick him up and you put him in any other situation he comes preloaded with all of that trauma and i think that's what makes him so interesting to write about and to read about Mm -hmm. One of your uh, one of the questions that I was that I might I pop over to real quick about silver because I love talking about silver and I could forever. Um, but uh, I, I totally agree with that because um, because we don't know and it could be every it's kind of everything and nothing is is what happened to him. The, they, the the writers did this really ballsy thing where they were like you know our you know the the most well known pirate in Western canon who who we've sort of 
pulled out of the source material here. We're, we're not going to give him a story in this. He doesn't have one. His story is black sales. Um, but we can see the echoes of it. Right. And so mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm sure, you know, everyone knows by now that I wrote a silver backstory. Um, but again, it's not something you really need. It was more of a writing exercise for me. Mm-hmm. It's really plausible. It fits, but you don't need it because you can see all of his, all of his trauma responses in the show itself. Yeah. Give us all the information we need about him. You, we don't really need to know what happened to him. It's honestly better that we don't because whatever horrible things you as the, the viewer can come up with is, is going to be, is going to be more meaningful to sort of pin it down. Um, you know, it removes something, it, it really removes something. And it's also just the fact that it's unspeakable to him. The fact that he can't bear to speak about it is, is really indicative of just some of the most horrible things that break a human being um, the most horrible traumas. Uh, and it's, it's really, it's, it's personal in that way, because again, the viewer can sort of whatever is going to resonate with them specifically project that onto him and imagine what happened to him in that way. And, yeah. and there's really no wrong answers as far as like really bad shit. So, so I, I agree. I, I think he's so fascinating because, because something like uh, there was an interview that's like something broke his ability to exist, like in his own story and sort of situate himself in the context of one and have a history or a past or be connected to anything um and so that's kind of why he latches on to flint and then and then maddie um i i'm 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 getting a slightly off base here no basically i but basically i agree with you is what i'm saying (laughs) yeah and i think it doesn't it doesn't even matter if it is trauma inflicted upon him or a past that he is so regretful of um, in terms of uh, something that maybe he did in the past. I don't think yeah. that it matters no. because he's obviously either way trying so hard to distance himself from it that he can't even bear to mention it. Mm-hmm. Um, that he, he, he so much, and he talks about um, how fascinating he, fascinating, fascinated, sorry, how fascinated he is with the fact that Flint cares so much about what people think of him yet he obviously cares oh yeah because he won't even mention who he was in the past and what happened um so it's it's something that he can't even bear to speak so he he obviously cares what flint thinks of him oh yeah yeah it's and um whether or not whether or not silver pre-canon because because i tend to think that Silver, after meeting Flint, is a very different person. He sort of gets his brain chemistry rewritten. You know, oh, yeah. he, he may have been a little more shameless with like things things that he did to survive or, you know, his own decisions uh, at pre-Flint, but at least when it comes to Flint and then again later with, with Maddie, um, he really, really cares what they think. Um, and part of it, I think, is that he doesn't want to tell Flint those things because he's worried about the reaction. But I think a, a, a larger part is there are things sometimes that you remember. It's not that you've forgotten them, but you put them in a vault and they're sort of untouchable in your brain. Like even trying to go and like pull them back out and, and verbalize them would be so, would be so painful as to like literally shatter you as a human being. Um, mm-hmm. And Silver spent so much time constructing this new persona for for the events of black sales, you know, he's John Silver now. We're, we're pretty certain that's not his real name. 
but it's his name now and he yeah this is the persona that he seems to have wanted to really hang on to and then sort of gets trapped in anyway um and so it, it would just shatter him it would just shatter the new persona that's that's the take i usually go with um that you know people who experience ptsd in real life um that that's a common thing where they can't talk about what happened to them like they can't even touch it not because they forgot it um sometimes sometimes they've forgotten it but uh to go back to that place and re-inhabit it in their mind would be so damaging as to just completely fling them off the side of the planet um and and sort of shatter them and uh, and that's how how i sort of think of that scene in four nine where they're talking and he's like he wants to tell him he does but he mm-hmm. really just can't. He absolutely yeah. can't, can't do it. Um, yeah. And because he knows that he's he is risking, and he says this immediately, he knows he's risking um, losing the friendship that he has garnered with Flint yeah. in that moment by not telling him. Mm-hmm. But he is he is so afraid to tell him that he's willing to potentially risk that than what he thinks is to immediately risk uh, losing it the other way it's kind of the 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 tail of the snake in the mouth you know the thing yeah the thing about them that is so sad that's so unassailable perfect tragedy is that flint is so defined by his past it means so much to him and mm-hmm. he shared he shared it with silver which is a big a big thing for him and silver knows all of him but he just can't reciprocate and flint sort of I feel like views it as that Silver's trying to withhold leverage. You know, he wants to keep, yeah. keep power. And while that may not be entirely untrue, it's also just, it's something he just can't do. He just cannot meet Flint where he is there. Um, yeah. It's a big problem in, in breakup, which I just wholesale transfer, you know, from yeah. canon, which is that uh, I'm sharing so much of me with you and I love you and I want to know things about you in return. And Silver's like, that's not what I can give you. What I can give you is my loyalty and friendship can that be enough because I can't give you the other thing and that doesn't mean that it's less for me it just means that that's not something that's not how I'm built they're built very differently you know yeah they're foils and and that's they sort of butt heads over that uh yeah and in terms of um in terms of the way that Luke performs you know that facet of silver I really don't think that there is a lot of the ulterior motive in terms of um, having a power difference and, and something to hold over Flint uh, in terms of making himself um, kind of vague. And I think it is more a self-protectant thing of that, that you were saying that um, he can't give that part of himself away because of trauma and i think it's very clearly written in the performance as oh yeah well. L- and Luke, i think um, i tend to agree yeah and i think one of um one of the things that i think you do really well and and there are quite a few other um thick writers who pick up pick up on uh this kind of ribbon through the show um as well is just how enormous Flint's capacity is for love. Yes. And you see that he is, he can do these beastly monstrous things, but it all stems from love. Mm-hmm. And then you see him in these quiet moments and he is so soft. Yes. And it is, it is both in the text and it is in the subtext. It's in the, the performance. Like 
the way the micro expressions, the, the way oh, that yeah. his face, his face is like water. Uh huh. No. Yeah. I know it, exactly what you mean. Yeah. These emotions, a million of them will just flicker past. And if you, if you're not paying attention, you'll miss it. Like these tiny little moments, these tiny little micro expressions are telling an entirely different story under the surface. The, the stories that really focus on um, those moments, those soft moments and pulling those out, you really get the true character of who he is at the heart. And oh, I yeah. think that's the only way that, that, you know, people are able to continue rooting for him is because you do get the, those glimpses underneath the kind of the soft underbelly. Oh yeah. Uh, um, Flint, Flint contains multitudes is something that I say all the time. He's like, one yeah. of the, between the two of them, like they're both character of all time in their own ways. Um, they contain so much and Flint is, he is very intense. There's nothing that he's ever done that he didn't do with a hundred percent of his chest. He's very passionate. He almost can't, he almost can't be any other way. He if he cares about it, he cares about it a thousand percent. Right. And so Toby does a super great job of, you know, like you said, his face being like water, he is oozing, oozing reaction. He is reactive. Uh, he could not, he cannot even contain it. And I, I like to think of Flint as like most people for Flint are NPCs, except for when he finds a person that has earned it. Right. And then he's just ride or die forever. Oh yeah. Um, and, and so it's so great to see him like, uh, you know, he is the Machiavellian, you know, pirate king there for a while. And that is part of him. It's, a, it's it, people like to say that he's that bitch and he is. Um, but, but what's so funny is when it, the switch flips, Flint has his, his people, his very few people who have sort of stuck around and earned their way there. And, uh, and then he'll, he'll, that's it. You're in, once you're in, you're in, and he will do anything and everything for you. And I, I love to be able to see that, like with Miranda, and then um, how how the Silver Flint relationship changes from over the seasons. And in season four, in season four, Ugh. Flint looks so human and in love and just it's, sassy, gooey. It is almost unbearable to look at. It's, he, it's overwhelming. Yeah. yeah, it is overwhelming. And it's so plainly written. And especially, and I'm going to, I'm just going to say, if you are familiar with... Toby's body of work and yeah, you no, understand yeah. his acting choices and you can see them up against choices he's made in other things that oh, it, I, I it's very clear I just watched Lost in Space like last week again and uh, oh. I was talking to someone else about this and we were like yeah that's his in love with you face that's Toby's in love with you face yeah he's making it yeah and it's the same face with his wife in this show and silver over in here. I mean, it is like, it, it seems very plain to me too. I don't, you know, I don't want to, you know, folks, folks get what they need out of the show. And I like that yeah. about black sales. It contains a lot, but it would be, it's very hard for me to sort of, to sort of back off of like silver Flint as the sort of main thrust of the narrative. It kind of, I mean, it, it, it feels very plain to me as well. Is, is what I'll yeah. say. It feels yeah. very, very obvious. I know lots of very smart people and lots of other writers who, who they're not silver flint people and that's, that's fine. Mm -hmm. um, and so as long as we all acknowledge that silver is obsessed with that man, because otherwise oh, yeah. it doesn't make sense. Like it doesn't have to be romantic or sexual, but it does have to be weird. 
Like yeah. he is weirdly psycho, like, like he is fixated on Flint. And yeah. that's really the only way I can make the narrative make sense for why he stays. Like, uh, yeah. it just doesn't make sense. I mean, again, I could be here all day sort of pulling cit- citations from the show and be like, hey, this is what Silver should have done if he was actually a coward or self-preservationist. And the reason he doesn't is he's too, he's too fascinated and fixated on Flint to like, he wants to matter to this person. He wants to be in this person's orbit. Um, and yeah. as, as far as Flint goes, I mean, I, I think it's even, it's even simpler. Like he sort of falls in love with Silver against his will. He really doesn't want to, but uh, he can't deny, like, he likes having a partner who can match him. And Silver proves yeah. over and over again that he's here and he can. And there's a lot of, there's, there's parts of Miranda and parts of Thomas in Silver. And there's just a bunch of things that Flint finds extremely attractive in a human being. And we have evidence for those things. Like the Silver parallel, the Silver Miranda parallels and the Thomas Silver parallels. I mean, they're right there in the show. The, oh, yeah. Literally the editing in season two in particular, which I'm thinking of because I just rewatched it, like talking about strange pairs mm-hmm. and, and just cutting to Silver Flint. I mean, how, how, do, how do we deny that? At, at some point it starts to become like, like these two are a thing. Something is going on with them. They, they're the main. They're sort of the main thorough line of the show. And if we, if that's not acknowledged, I'm like, I feel like at that point you're doing violence to the text. Which, as an English major person, um, I was sort of sort of drilled into me that we always go back to the text and sort of hold hold up what we think about it against you know refresh yourself with the source material and the acting and the editing the script all seems to be very plain. <laughs> When was your Silver Flint awakening when you were watching the show? Like, what was the moment where you where you were just, aha? Oh, um, let's see. Okay, so one of the few things I knew from Tumblr osmosis was that that was one of the big ships, just because I'd seen gift sets. Um, so the things that I knew going in were that there was can- canonical queer content. I didn't know who it was for, because I've seen, you know, I've seen lots of gift sets of characters that don't end up together, et cetera. And I did know to sort of watch for Silver Flint things. So I was watching them closely. Um, and I already told you that I was like, I was on board watching Silver from the first moment. Um, but as a unit, um, I, I think the zing happened in like one three of like, oh, this is really interesting when okay silver's been captured he he's already burnt the page and there he's sitting in eleanor's office and he's just way less scared than he should be he's very smug and he says to flint that we might be friends by then and he's just big charming smile and like you saw this man not two days ago you saw him beat a dude's head in to carry a bluff because you know that he was lying about singleton Mm -hmm. like you know that you're one of the few people who does know that and yet he seems way less perturbed than he should be. He seems like, oh no, I can befriend this guy. This is going to be easy. I have infinite pull string rants is what I call them. Like where you pull the string of the toy and the same things come out about, like <laughs> I said about silver, how many times he could have left or escaped pointing out what would be actually st- the strategic move for money or freedom or self-preservation. And I've left most of it on the page in Fic or on Tumblr. So you know, it's, it's, it's available, but, um, for all the rest of his life, he's been careful. Right. But he also has a lethal curiosity. He likes knowing things, knowledge is power and secrets are power. And something about Flint makes him sort of just push through the warning bells to be like, I have to know everything about this person and I cannot leave because I have to know it. And, and he spends all sorts of time doing mental gymnastics and self 
you know, rationalizing why that is the best move. And we hear it come out of his mouth and it's just the most infuriating thing in the world. And you want to shake him because you're like, do you see how you are retconning this? But, but one of the things I like to say for Silver is that when it comes to Flint, he sees him, he sees this big, like tiger, the predator who's lashing his tail. And he's like, oh, a kitty, you know, oh, a kitty. I can befriend <laughs> the kitty. He won't maul me. Like that is his vibe. And so oh, yeah. the, the, their, their interaction where he's Silver's literally sitting in there surrounded by people who want to kill him, who are threatening to torture him. And he manages to sort of just be really smarmy about it. And I feel like genuinely be like, you know, we might be friends by then. I feel like part of it's an act, obviously, to sort of like mm-hmm. keep us cool and say, yeah, I have the upper hand over you guys because because I have a page in my head. But also, I think part of it is genuinely like we might be friends by then. I'm going to make that happen. And that is just addictive. That is a drug. <laughs> like that was I was like, oh, yeah. So that yeah. that's really one of the big the first big silver flint moments is is them just having that sort of recognizing in each other that oh we're playing we're playing a game here okay and getting to watch them play their game over four seasons um so i know that you have been watching black sales with your partner and um have been posting reactions and things like that um on tumblr was there were there moments that you were definitely waiting for uh, to re-experience vicariously. Um, what were some favorite moments when you're watching with your partner or watching with anybody else, having a friend watch it? Oh, well, I do love a live blog and I love to experience things vicariously again through the main tag. That's one of my favorite things ever. Cause you can only watch a thing for the first time, one time mm-hmm. and getting to sort of get that back a little bit is really fun and great but as far as my spouse goes so he watched it for the first time in February of 2021 so I basically begged him to because I've been talking about it so much so it was only a few months later and it was sort of a trade I was reading a book series that he really liked and he was going to watch Black Sales but the thing about him is that he's kind of weird affectionate like he's a really weird person (laughs) um and he watches tv and media in general through a completely different lens than me so I don't know if I've had necessarily expectations because I because I just was sitting back with the popcorn to watch him go basically which is what was why I started writing down those those reactions for a little while which I I fell off of but um uh but the ones that we do have are really funny because he's very funny but yeah, he's not, he's not always as locked into character dynamics as I am. He, mm-hmm. he really likes boats. Uh, the thing about spouse is he loves boats and he loves historical stuff and like the craft of how things were made. So a lot of his reactions were about the cannons and, uh, and like logistics, um, mm-hmm. of like the warship. Uh, I, I think I was interested. I wanted to see how he reacted to Gates, uh, and Miranda's deaths respectively, and then the two five reveal, and then uh, of the Flint Hamilton reveal, and then um, I think Silver get his, getting his amputation, but not for anything specific, just because those are big moments, and I wanted to talk to him about them, like because I'm I'm very non a non spoiler person, and uh-huh. I also extend that to like everyone around me, so I keep my mouth shut right until I am the same when I'm watching a new someone when I'm watching a thing I've seen with someone who hasn't seen it, I'm really silent. And so I was excited so I could talk to him about it when he got there. Um, but a con- context for context for spouse and the kind of person that he is, 
the scene in, in season four where Flint goes into the captain's cabin after Silver's been sobbing because they think that Maddie's dead. Um, like Flint's walking in and I'm like, I'm, I'm already crying. I'm pre-crying. Uh-huh. And, and spouse will say, well, those ceilings are just way too high. Just to give you a little context. <laughs> just like, that's what it's like. <laughs> that's who he is as a person. Affectionate. That's amazing. Uh, <laughs> the ceilings are way too high. And, they, and then he goes, and there's the boys are still talking and having their emotional and he'll be like you know i think it's probably because tom hopper is so tall and they also needed all the film equipment but those ceilings are too high for a historical ship of that i'm like honey honey they're doing the shoulder squeeze they're doing the one (laughs) shoulder squeeze one of the most meaningful silver flint moments in the entire show could you hush (laughs) so yeah spouse is weird affectionate it's kind of the (laughs) takeaway on that I know when I watched with my husband, like we're both actors. And so um, it was great because I had just finished the show and I watched the entire thing for the first time on my phone, which is like, I know because I I watched it in Japan and I was geo-blocked from literally every site that I could have gotten it from. And even though I had a star's subscription, I couldn't stream it to the tv just because of wi-fi logistics because the wi-fi that we had of course would have registered that i was in japan so i had to watch on my phone because i was still connected to the u.s network that's that's, anyway that's crazy so but at least it's a lethal screen (laughs) (laughs) so i i literally had two very separate experiences watching this because the first time i watched it i watched it on my phone and i finished the first the first watch and i had, it was right after the um the finale and i tried to explain to my husband about the finale and i was just trying to ex- explain how emotional it was and i just burst into tears yep <laughs> and so I, he was like okay okay i'll just watch the show and so we we managed to rig it so that um, I could snake the phone to the TV and have it co- hooked up to the network. And so we were able to watch it together on the TV. And so that was my my second viewing experience was like a, a big expansion on that yeah, because there was yeah. a lot that you missed. The, I did not see because of like, there was a lot of those moments in season three with Miranda and the specter of death. Yeah. that I missed entirely and I am I am embarrassed to admit I missed entirely the first watch because of like watching it doing dishes and like right. having one eye on my phone and they legit scared me when I watched yeah. it full screen I mean, for the first time listen you were making do with what you had you were trying to get black sails into your brain in the ways that you could <laughs> Um, which is really admirable, frankly, that you're like, I'm going to get it. I'm getting it on my phone. <laughs> That's but, dedication. So when we watched it together, it was, it was really great, like watching with another actor, because there are moments when, especially in um, uh, episode three, um, 301, the speech that Flint gives um, to the crew after Hornigold has offered them the pardons. Yeah. There's a moment where Toby flicks his eyes to the side. <laughs> yeah. And my husband was like, oh, 
that was really powerful. Like just something uh-huh. so small was so powerful in terms of choices. Yeah. And so it was, it was great watching with him. Like he brought such great insight to it as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, getting so, to, getting to sort of uh, having someone, their expertise, right. Um, and especially if you share that expertise with them as an actor to getting to sort of, you know, filter it through that lens, you, you get so many new things out of the show. Like I love listening to pe- music people talk about the soundtrack because mm-hmm. I, I love music, but I don't understand it the way that certain other folks do, right? Who make music or, or who um, are in music design in some way and, they're, and they will pick it apart. Um, there's been a musical parallels thing going around right now on Tumblr. You know, it sort of is, is matching up themes mm-hmm. that repeat and reprises. And that is, that is the coolest thing ever because yeah. it's just not something that I would have ever noticed the way that my brain is wired. Um, and, and I get all this, like, I, I get all this new content essentially by seeing it through other people's perspectives, which is why live blogs are so fun. I love when new blood comes yeah. into the fandom. Cause I'm always going to see the same thing as much as I try not to, uh, again, pull string, like I'm probably going to say the same things over and over again. And then I'm like, Oh, so-and-so over here, right. This new user, uh, this is what they're noticing about the facial hair or something. And I'm like, wow. I just got a whole new, you know, yeah. piece of black sales unlocked for me um, by getting to sort of pick their brain about it or read, yeah. or read their thoughts, read their meta. Um, I'm the same way. And I, I always joke that I'm kind of an emotional vampire in terms of loving the vicarious um, experience of seeing someone's reaction or uh, reading someone's um, like live tweeting of something because I cannot re-experience it for the first time. Mm-hmm. That's really the only way yeah. to kind of get that drug again, you know? And shake emoji. And- <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. And so there are, there are so many times where I will be watching an embarrassing amount of uh, Black Sales reaction videos. I think I've watched them all. Um, but you you can pick up from things that people notice. And it, it they notice them offhand, but mm-hmm. because you have the entire world and context of the show in your head already, some little tiny comment can be like, oh my God, I just it just reopens an entire different way of looking at a certain aspect or a certain character dynamic. Yes. And I, I absolutely love that. And, you know, there's something for having multiple eyes, fresh, fresh perspectives um, that, you know, is so engaging when you're talking about like literary analysis and things like that and the structure of the story and um, the, just the different onion layers of the characters and it's absolutely absolutely fantastic one thing that i have noticed with a lot of modern au's going into character is that um there tends to be when you take flint in particular out of context of his trauma and out of context of the actual canon of the show that there tends to be kind of a melding of Flint and Toby. And in fact, I was talking to my friend, Teresa, I'm going to shout her out. Hi, Teresa, that I, I coined, um, Floby McStevens. And so like, oh, that's a Floby Mac fic. 
And I love those because it brings, because there, I think there's an equal amount of fascination with Flint and also fascination with Toby in terms of how different he is from the character Mm -hmm. Um, and kind of the gravitational pull he tends to have for the rest of the cast. And I think it is, it's really interesting. And there's, there's a lot of layers that I can see a bit of Toby peeking out in, in certain aspects. Did you have any thoughts on that or? Um, I consider, I consider them to be very separate. I think by the nature of modern AU, he sort of starts to feel a little more Toby just because people use a lot of like promo images uh, Mm -hmm. as inspiration or because there's a, there is a softening that you can't avoid happening because we've just lowered the stakes. They're in a coffee yeah. shop now yeah. or they're in a bakery. Like we have lowered the violent stakes of it. And and so I, I see what you're saying. Uh, for cupcakes, especially, like it's true that Bryn and I did sort of, uh, as far as the Taylor Swift thing, as far as liking Taylor Swift, we did pull that directly from Toby's Twitter um, and like the old man not knowing how emojis work are the two examples. But but also I would say that um, in my brain, the character and the real person are really, really different and almost mm-hmm. opposites because like yeah, Toby, yeah. Toby's very known to be like a very dad energy, hilarious, charming and fun, gregarious person. And Flint is not that, as we all know, like he is almost the opposite. Like he he prefers his own company or the company of his vetted people like I like I'd said earlier and I really think of him as an introvert I really think of him as really awkward and and Toby by the nature of being an actor is charismatic and gregarious like and very from from what I've read in the interviews uh, very good with those kind of one-on-one improv situations in a way that I just I think of Flint like I do think of Flint like an actor sometimes but he's very much a scripted he's he's on a script he's on stage and he is performing to an audience and he is not sort of getting anything. He's, uh, there's, there's a line in a fic. I can't remember what fic it is now. He speaks to them like a prophet. Whereas I think of Silver like an improv actor where he Mm -hmm. is working off of his partner. Flint is good performing with preparation, having, having had preparation to a big group of people as if he is on stage. And in that way, he is an actor and he is, he is play acting. Um, But like, I I do think of Toby and Flint going back to that as, as almost opposites in a lot of ways, which, which has been reflected in some things that I have written. But as far as Cupcakes Flint goes, like, you know, we, we checked, like when Brent and I were like, oh, we want to take this as inspiration. We checked, we're like, okay, but does this actually fit Flint? How, in mm-hmm. what ways does it fit him? In what ways would, do we see him sort of wanting to listen to every album of Taylor Swift while baking? And in, even, even going back to in what ways does baking or some kind of hands-on hobby like that fit him? And, mm-hmm. and we, we came to like, he's very passionate. He needs a thing. And the same reason that artist Flint works is that if you take yeah. the war away, if you take the war and the and uh, the Ark of Gold, if you take all of that away from him and you put him in a new setting, he needs something where he can where he can funnel all of his passion into it and have opinions about it, big O opinions, because Flint is big O opinions. He needs a thing that he's the best at that he's going to override everyone else's you know thoughts on because he knows the most and he's right, so you better listen to him. So if it's not sailing, you know, and it's not if it's not being a pirate or knowing what's best for NASA, then what is it? And it has to be 
you know, and sometimes it's baking apparently. Um, yeah. <laughs> he, he, he seems like a guy who's, who would really love to have a craft that's sort of a quiet craft that he's able to do alone and listen to his music. Mm-hmm. And so I don't disagree that there are a lot of sort of Toby Flint mergings in mod AU, but I, I don't know if that's because I, I think it might just be the necessary softening. Um, yeah. I, because I do tend to view them as opposites, you know, um, in a lot of, <laughs> yeah, a lot that's of ways. fair. That's fair. Something that's important to me is to, when you're, when you're taking so many other things away from them in an AU, um, mm-hmm. to, to really drill down onto them as characters and to, and to make sure that Flint is, is kind of a grumpy asshole, like in Cupcakes, you know, he treats Silver really shittily for no reason in a way that I tried to sort of mirror in the way that he treats him in season two when Silver's just his go-to, right? And he's running around doing all these things for Flint and is basically getting yeah. no, no gratitude. I tried to take that dynamic between them and transfer it over to this, you know, this guy is playing on my street so loudly and, and for Flint to just ignore that it's bringing in business and it's making the bakery more popular um, and to just ignore that and focus on that it's bothering him in particular and mm-hmm. to, you know, to just make sure that we don't sand off Flint's edges because it, it's, it's really, it is easy to do that. Um, yeah. It, it's easy to sort of, it's a bakery rom-com, you know, it, it's a very hard challenge to make sure that they are themselves in completely themselves in the verse and also recognizable from canon because obviously they're different versions uh just you know unavoidably if you start an au that is that ambitious and that removed from canon whether it be the modern one or whether it be a western um or a a sci-fi one i've read i've read a bunch um and and the my favorite writers are the ones who the boys are themselves right um yeah yeah they still have their uh, they still have their banter they're still snappish and shitty with each other they do the old married you know that you know they're, they're not that nice to each other actually <laughs> they, yeah it can end, and so I feel like that should be reflected and even though cupcakes has a happy ending because it's a rom-com I feel like we had to earn it right so I know we're going to talk about cupcakes more in other episodes so I won't like I won't get too far into it but like we had a beat sheet you know a rom-com beat sheet as far mm-hmm. as like every step and we started with a meat ugly and antagonistic instead of a meat cute and so you need to justify that you need, if they're going to start antagonistic you have to earn them falling in love after that yeah right? yeah because because otherwise it's kind of kind of shitty and abusive and and in this one case in this one verse I wanted it I wanted to give them a happy ending with no strings attached and no ambiguity right um, where they genuinely did get their happy ending. It's the only verse I will probably ever give it to them in, where where there's no nothing left unsaid or you know unaddressed. Where mm-hmm. we we pushed them through an arc, and and they're at the end, and they're going to be fine, guys. They're going to be fine. Um, and that and and genuinely, and and that's how rom coms work. Like uh, there's a book called Romancing the Beat by Gwen Hayes, which I used a lot, and that's where I formed my beat sheet of like, um, you know what are the different pieces of the arc to make a rom-com work? And it's really structurally intensive, actually. Uh, Cupcakes was basically my playground or my, where I learned how to do structure sophisticated enough where I could then write Breakup AU. Because because Breakup AU, for anyone who doesn't know, has two interlocking timelines (laughs) and is also alternating POV. Uh, Whereas 
uh, Cupcakes is only from Flint's POV and it follows a very typical rom-com structure, um, which is still not easy, but uh, it's a heck of a long way from what I did next, which is a crazy person things actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I will say that it's important when you start an AU to go back to the source material and extrapolate out the things that are that you are going to keep and that you are not going to compromise on so that the characters stay recognizable. I, I, I studied a lot of stuff about transformative works and adaptation, and I wrote about a lot, a lot of stuff about adaptation fidelity in, um, in school I, when I went to grad, uh, undergrad and grad school. Uh, so that's like, that's always been my, that's always been my area. So I was kind of perfectly set up to write AUs um, that are also canon feeling characters. Um, so intertextuality, transformative works, adaptation, fidelity, all that is like my area. It mm-hmm. took me a little while to realize that that's why I was so good at what I call extrapolating from the source material out to things that make sense in another verse. And once you start to get your feet and you and there, there will be ripple effects where you end up in a place where, okay, ne- they don't necessarily, they aren't making decisions necessarily that their canon selves would make, but now you've sort of pushed them along a path where they have grown and that's okay. That does happen in Breakup AU quite a lot where mm-hmm. uh, Breakup Flint will be making decisions that canon Flint absolutely wouldn't, but then again, he's a hundred thousand words into his journey, right? By its very nature, fan fiction is always going to be alt canon because you're pushing them through an arc of something. You're having new things happen to them. And yeah. so they yeah. must change and grow. And so they're not going to be the exact guys from canon. Um, exactly. Because they're your guys now, but they also will be recognizable to like the starting point. And so that's yeah. why I call it extrapolation because you have a starting point that's firm and then you do your ripple effects from what makes sense. As long as you keep on that and sort of like go back to your lodestone or whatever, whatever your notes are, I, I feel like you can believably write the characters, whatever characters, not even Silver Flint, but any characters, mm-hmm. uh, any rich characters in whatever verse you want. I, I think that anybody, a good enough writer can can make it work. Um, it's just like putting a puzzle together. Yeah. I think one of the things that you can even apply to this is Heisenberg's um, uncertainty principle, where you cannot observe something without changing it. So you cannot take these characters out of their own story, put them in a new story without them being changed by this yeah. new world, by this new story. And But at the same time, there is still that core, that kernel of spark that will remain the same. Ho- hopefully. And yeah. I try to remember that when I'm reading AUs. Um, because everyone has a different take and doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. It's sometimes just different from what I, I would do, but I enjoy reading different perspectives and oftentimes it ends up inspiring me to do something a different way. Um, yeah. And I enjoy, I enjoy the stories that remain that, that do extrapolate all of that, all of the trauma and baggage and everything from Canon and put them perfectly dovetail it into a modern AU setting. Um, but at the same time, I think my soul also needs them to be given um, little emotional holidays uh, from all of the trauma as well. So I do like some of the, a lot of the fluffier AUs yeah. as well. So both of them, I, I have, there are times where I, I do need to wallow for a little bit, but mm-hmm. then 
uh, where your, your breakup AU was absolutely perfect for that. Like it just, it did some, some lasting damage, Jay. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna skirt around it. You know, I'm, 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 I'm so validated by that. (laughs) Like I think about it, I think about it and it causes me a little twinge. It causes me pain. Like the memory of reading it. I'm just like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I mean, imagine what it was like writing it. Yeah, no. <laughs> it, it literally took over my entire life for an entire calendar year. Like I was in it all the, like if you asking my IRL people, I would not talk about anything else for an entire year. And like, thank goodness for them that they, they put up with that <laughs> because, <laughs> because, because it was a lot. <laughs> I definitely agree with you about needing a vacation sometimes from it and also wanting to wallow because it's, it's, I I joke with my friends that, that my works, my body of works is very much on the extremes of either their husbands, their sappy husbands, or they're dying and they're killing each other. And like, it's the worst thing you've ever read in your life. (laughs) Like I really am. It's really cupcakes and breakup or like, I don't, I don't do medium. I do not do medium. I do yeah. one or the other. Um, so, yeah. So perhaps we should touch on the actual story that we're talking about right now. Yeah, that's um. fine. You know, <laughs> that's this is this is a husband's one. This is the sappy husband's yes, one. Yes, yes, yes. So, um, so this is uh, touching on a very, very tried and true trope. And this is the either drunk confession or drugged confession. And I, it's one that I absolutely love. It's the, the truth serum idea. And when you're going by prompts from other people and um, going into an, even if it's in canon, um, how do you get yourself into the headspace to enter the story from someone else's perspective? Um, and, and fill a prompt in that way. Yeah. So this one, this one had a couple of prompts, right? Um, one of them was by Calamity's child, Aiden, who gave me the head shaving one about Flint getting injured and then needing, needing to have his head shaved by someone else, uh, probably silver, which was one of the big pieces of it. And then some anonymous, some anonymous wanted, uh, an under the influence kiss, and then I already had a concept in my docs for wanting to do drugged or drunk flunt. Cause again, that's, as you said, super fun. So as far as where I, what I do with prompts is I just kind of think of them like ingredients, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it's still me. It's still my voice and my interpretation, the characters. Um, and the prompts are part of the mosaic. They're mosaic pieces, but they're not a hard and fast rule book for what I'm doing with it. What I, I, I tend to look at the prompt and I massage it to make it work for me more because mm-hmm. I because I only really write prompts that I can do that with right there there's been plenty of prompts that I, I I that don't end up in a finished piece because I just can't make it fit um or my brain doesn't latch onto it but this one sometimes it's a perfect storm of synthesization of different elements and I can just see it unfolding out in front of me you know that like I think I said earlier like solving a puzzle and I was like, oh, I know exactly what's going to happen. I know exactly, it's going to be big husband's vibes. I know exactly the era. You know, I know that they're going to be bickering like a married couple. You know, this is going to be the, the most wish fulfillment, soft sort of season three, season four break version of them. 
Silver's going to be very protective. We're going to we're going to pull back on him being very worried in the during the raids and in the cages. And we're going to just go really hard on like the intimacy of letting someone groom you and trusting them enough to be that close, trusting them enough to be drugged in front of them and take drugs in front of them. And because I, I was really underlining what we talked about earlier, which was if th- that time period after the season, after season three and before season four, right there where we have four, nine happen. Mm-hmm. Flint is so in love. Like he's so gaga in love. Like you can just see it oozing out of him. Yeah. And I'm like, that's the Flint I want to write. I write a lot of season three, season four break because it's a, a very small golden sliver of like the best, yeah. best they're ever going to be and the happiest they're ever going to be in canon where they're, they're either on or an island, you know, doing sword training or, I was like, oh, they probably went to go do supply runs as well and take, you know, small prizes to prepare for their assault on Nassau. So, you know, it's this, it's this small flash of a moment where I mm-hmm. get to write the most wish fulfillment stuff. And so you'll find that I tend to, I, I tend to linger in that time period in a lot of different of the softest husband's versions. But as far as the, um, as far as the confession, right, I feel like Flint has all of those words in him, mm-hmm. but he just needs if anyone's read my stuff, right, they'll have noticed that I like something called altered states. Altered states being, uh, they could be drugged or drunk. They could be have a, they could be feverish. They could be sleepy. It could mm-hmm. be a, a life or death situation, a sex pollen situation, um, or subspace is another one. I use BDSM a lot for this. Uh, but but a state to push the boys into a place especially silver often where I get to make them do whatever I want uh, <laughs> because they're not gonna, if they're not altered in some way, because they're, yeah. they say a lot of words together, but they don't actually say they're, they're always speaking on like 40 levels of subtext. And yeah, you know, when, when you, when you track their conversations in Canon, they're not really saying the thing without all of these it's not, it's removed. Um, but if I drug him, I can make him do whatever I want, essentially. Um, and it was, it was really a moment where I just wanted Flint to be nice to Silver and say the <laughs> things to Silver that Silver deserved to hear for once. Like to tell him that I admire your, the way you do leadership. I admire the way that you have convinced all of us, you know, to, to follow your lead here. Um, and that I see that you're a little wiggle worm, right? I see the way that you do things. I see the manipulations and, and, and I admire it and I like it. Very just lovey-dovey confession hours. Like uh, before the interview, I assume everyone's listened to the pod fix. So you will have just heard, just heard all of the things Flint gets that I get to make Flint say when he is really, <laughs> really high on laudanum. <laughs> Uh, and and that comes straight out of the subtext. Like there's not a thing that you can that you can look at in that fic and say, Flint does not say this with his face. Like literally most of season four. Like it it just oh yeah. And it goes, yeah. It goes from what's what's interesting is the dynamic goes from season one, season two, silver puppy eyes, like complete fascination with flint and that dynamic switches to where you see flint's just tender fascination yes with 
everything in in regards to silver his concern over silver's descent it is so writ plain across his face and in that whole performance it's incredible um but yeah nothing in this fic is out of character and that's why i all the best of of these works it's all in character and my theory is that fan fiction only works if it is 100% in character, if you take your characters like dolls, like they're Barbies, and you're like, you're manipulating them outside of what the nature of these characters are, it will not work. You can write it. I don't care how beautifully you write it. It will not work. There has to be something that is supportive in the source material that you bring to it emotionally Oh, I mean, I tend to, I mean, I tend to agree with that. I, uh, you know, I, I rewatch the show so much for, especially when I'm, I'm working on a project. Um, what's, what's hard about writing snappy husbands is you kind of have to, to pick uh, little bits out of all kinds of different parts of the show. And sort of what I'll do is I'll like watch them all at once. I'll watch all the four nine scenes. I'll watch like the part in four one where they're really being really cute and bickering uh, right before then, I'll I'll just I'll just watch all that stuff in a row. Basically, everything that sort of encapsulates the ideal wish fulfillment universe of what they could maybe have been if they were given more time and space and there was mm-hmm. less less stakes. And so there are there are pieces of it all over the show, and I will just like watch all the little bits and pieces together and then synthesize it into okay, cool. Let's let's peek into the break here between three and four and see see a thing that that could have happened so I mean I tend to agree like I I I privilege the source material extremely in in when I'm writing canon uh when I'm writing modern AU it's a little different a little more complex but with with canon verse stuff Mm -hmm. I I will yeah I will rewatch the show over and over again uh for then take notes um so depending on what depending on what it is you know yeah and in terms of, uh, I'm going to throw back to James's story from from uh, episode one uh, as well, where he writes Silver thinking what they could have been to each other mm-hmm. had things been different, had yeah. they met in a different way, had they been two people just meeting in a pub um, and, you know, sharing stories over drinks. And I think that dynamic works so well when you're messing around with canon and pulling them out of the AU um, because again they are two characters that are inextricably linked and I just I'm not I won't get over them I won't yeah no I don't think I will either I've been here for (laughs) over two years now and and I uh, this sort of black sales revived my writing like straight up uh, it just totally revived it. A couple of other things too, like writing with Bren, especially, and and uh, but but yeah, no, I'm never going to be over it. And I will. I was going to agree that that James's piece, which is one of my favorite Silverfront pieces ever, I love um, it so much. Is, is also a super fun playing in a nebulous sort of, uh, you know, a break where we get to give them more time, and they get mm-hmm. to be on a they get to go on a date. Like, just let them. You know, sometimes yeah. I just want to watch them go on a date. <laughs> Yeah, um, just a moment in time that doesn't involve sharks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, on, honestly, because because canon really does race them. I mean, it kind of has to the escalation and and yeah, 
it races them through a lot. Um, but I, I love reading fic that lets us play and lets us take a minute and um, sort of just see how they would be and if they could relax for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. So what are your top five uh, favorite stories? Okay, this was really hard question. Um, I, I have reckless upon reckless on my blog, um, which please everyone, you know, go look at those because picking five is like a, a, tor- a specific torture for me. Um, but here I, I did, I went through my 119 Black Sales bookmarks. Uh, which you should also go read all of because my bookmarks are public. Um, But here's the top five. There is a series called the Tether series by, uh, I think it's called, yeah, I think their handle is Steel. It's like S-T-E-L-E three. I I think it's pronounced Steel. Um, It is a masterpiece. It's my favorite silver, like past backstory interpretation ever. It's one of my favorite silvers ever. It really heavily influenced mine. It's the best, most in-depth post-canon take it's a very long series it's a big investment but it is worth it it is freaking amazing it's it's a, just genuinely a masterpiece it's a novel mm. um number two there is a series called let me see you in your darkness by ember fire drake which is a bdsm and power play series with like season season one season two era the silver flint fall into a power play dynamic and then catch feelings i reread it all the time it means a lot to me it inspired how I would eventually write my own BDSM dynamics between them like a lot so I always shout that one out you've probably seen pretty much all these on my rec lists okay so there's don't fear the ships fear the black by Farasha which is silver learning how to read sea charts and Flint is very gung-ho about trying to make him you know his replacement and it's very death wish Flint and silver getting furious with him about it super good silver Flint fic I'm going to cheat and shout out both Lisa Greenman and Seedlings at the same time because I oh always read them back God. to back. I yeah. <laughs> love those so much. My I have read them I so many times. Mm-hmm. So yeah. many times. Uh, these, these are my comfort stories. Like I have a bunch of comfort yes. bookmarks and these two I read back to back every time. Lisa Greenman, Seedlings by Two Front Teeth Still Crooked. My favorite Silverflint Modern AU ever. Like I love this writer's style. It's immensely inspiring and visceral and also just so funny. Uh, yes. I, I love their ability to make a universe feel very lived in in like a very short space. It is, it for me as a writer and not, not just as a reader do I enjoy it, but as a writer, I, you know, take a lot of inspiration from, from that technique. And, mm-hmm. uh, and here, and here's the last one. Uh, so The Salt in the Sea is written by a friend of mine, a 12. Um, and it's actually the reason that we are friends, uh, because I read their story and I wasn't a big commenter back then because I was getting better at commenting, but I super wasn't good at it. But this story affected me so immensely that I left a comment, which was, and and then they responded. And then we started chatting about the show a bunch. And now we are very good friends. Um, this, this story, oh, I liked it so much. I recorded it. The, the Salt in the Sea is also a pod fic. Um, because I couldn't express myself about it without performing it. Um, <laughs> it is the the best uh, season two gap filler, like between season two and season three gap filler about figuring out what they did 
what was going on with the gold and the logistics, as well as just like super interesting deep dive into Silver Flint and exploring like how they would be if they had started having sex in season one, but like it didn't change canon. So it's like all canon compliant, which is a really big challenge. Mm-hmm. The, boys, the boys are having sex, they're having their drama. And then there's a bunch of logistical things going on. It's just, it's, it's, it's great. You should read it. Like, just go read it. Um, yeah. So yeah, those yeah. are you, those are my those are my must reads. If I'm if I'm holding a gun to my head, <laughs> these are my must reads. But also, I have a lot of rec lists on my blog, and I have a lot of bookmarks on my yeah. three. And uh, I I underline all of those heavily. I'm underlining them. <laughs> yeah, I think if someone pressed me to <laughs> to tell my top five picks, I don't know that I could do it because yeah, I have so many which is why I started this podcast, but, um, you're basically just yeah, making a rec list with, you ex- know, <laughs> yes, exactly. A I'm really, really many shout out. One. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, Etoile, I love, I love Etoile's fix as well. And I believe I did reach out to them. Hopefully. Oh yeah. If, if hopefully you were, to... if you were taking, if you were taking suggestions about who to talk to, uh, that's my number one suggestion. Yeah, I, I did. I did reach out to a 12 and I think we are, I, I think we are going to do something in the future. I just have to narrow down which, which fic. Um, but, and then also going back to seedlings and lease agreement. I love those stories. So, so good. (laughs) Like, I think I would be hard pressed to say which one I like more. That's why I have um, to, probably, I have to list both of them. Yeah, maybe seedlings. I, well, because I do like being in silver POV. I well, really one do. is flint POV and one is silver POV. Exactly. I have to so read you get both of both. them. <laughs> exactly. It gets, it's the best of both worlds. And one thing I love about lease agreement is the descriptions of silver's disgusting cooking. Yes. Like all of love those. It. It's- absolutely kills me and just the moment if we're if we're just gonna go back and geek out a little bit mm-hmm. the moment that um they fall asleep on the couch listen it lives right for you in my head okay the halloween like if the halloween scene i could uh, literally quote some of this to you. i read it so many times it lives rent free in my head i i like i i will sit around and just think about those fics like like i'm in there it's so lived in and so visceral i don't you know that person that writer has such a wonderful grasp on the English language I I, it's and and the characters it's it is the blueprint for that's like I have a modern at you reckless Mm -hmm. but but those two specifically are like the blueprint for what I wanted to do when I started writing modern at you right I took huge prop like huge inspiration from that uh so absolutely all day we'll talk about (laughs) And silver, silver sitting on the front steps, handing out candy to the handing kids. Handing out candy. Like, just... All of the descriptions of the costumes. And Flint keeps keeps thinking, I'll go out there in a second. I'll go out there in a second. It's Gosh, okay. it's perfect. Yeah, I I love it so much. See, this is one of my favorite parts of the interview is where we just geek out. Yeah. Oh, I could, oh, I could, like, I could, for, for people who know me, they know that like, they'll say, Jay, have you read this has a little bit of this in it? And I'll be like, oh, I know where that is. And I'll go find, I'm like the curation station. I'll just, because <laughs> I just remember all of this stuff. And I'll be like, yeah, I know. I like, I've read all of these. I'll find it for you. Um, and so, yeah, I could just, I could just talk for another hour and a half about, hey, you want to talk about X title? Yeah. Let's talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> so we are going to feature Cupcake AU 
on the podcast and we are going to feature your recording. Um, you put in a ton of work. You sing all of the Taylor Swift songs throughout <laughs> the entire thing. I, I was so excited when you released this podfic because again, it was a way for me to consume. And because I already loved the Cupcake AU so much. Um, so we are going to feature that um, episodically. I haven't decided um, how we're going to split that up. It is a really long piece. Um, but what, um, in terms of your uh, podficking, what mm -hmm. inspired you initially to start doing that? Okay, so um, my so I wrote a silver backstory in 2021, and I really wanted to share it with my spouse who has trouble focusing on like text and can only do audiobooks. Um, and so that sort of it started as an accessibility thing, um, and then I was just like, I loved it so much, I, and I'm really good at it, uh, which I didn't necessarily expect to be so good at it. It uses a completely different skill set, voice acting and interpreting than to write. And it's kind of relaxing, actually, to take a break from writing and then to just get to interpret a script that someone else wrote, be it, be it something that I already wrote or um, my, you know, my friend's stories. Uh, and it's, it's adaptation, you know, it's bringing the story to life in a new mm -hmm. way. Oh, yeah. um, and, and I, when I started recording fix for my friends as well, it was like a, such a joy to get their reactions. They, they were so excited to hear it like reinterpreted, um, to hear my take on, on it. And it was just, it was just sort of a beautiful, uh, circle of, of energy and inspiration that caused me to do so many in a row. Cause the thing is that I know a lot of people do listen to the podfic, but very few people actually tell me that they do. And the, um, and, and they don't, they just don't get engagement uh, in the same way, because I mm -hmm. think people download them and then never come back to the page, which it is what it is. But it's nice to be recording for an author who's either my friend or an author who I've talked to. So I tend to sort of like, you know, I'll send it to the author and then they'll get to like gush at me about it. And then that's, and then I'm just sort of recording it for one person in my mind. But it is nice to hear that so many people do listen. I've heard recently, not just from you, but from from several people sort of coming out of the woodwork saying, Jay, I love your podfic. And I'm like, oh, I'm so glad because I love doing it so much. Uh, like I love being Silver Flint and I get to take a vacation from being me and also from, from writing. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, it, it is, um, it's so fun too, because when I step into that new role away, even when I'm doing my own piece, I get to re-experience the story almost as a new person um, because I, I get to be them and feel what they're feeling in the moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which as you, you know, you know, you, you're both a voice actor and an actor, you know, so mm -hmm. you, you know exactly what I mean. It's, it's very different from writing them because it, I sort of, my brain, I switch my brain off, my thinking brain off sometimes. And I just go with my feeling self. And I, I sort of, it's like, it's kind of like possession, you know, in a little way. Yeah. Like yeah. You just, you just go, you just sit and you go and you do it. Um, and, and it's so different from writing, but it, but it's so rewarding. Like I did not expect it to take off like this. It really just started because I was going to do that one story. Um, and now I have so many, I didn't yeah. expect to do the explicit ones either. Like I, I didn't know that I was going to be good at that, but I'm very uniquely good at that too. So 
yeah, I, I, I love it. I, I would love to do more here soon. It's, it's mm-hmm. been a little more difficult to, for me recently to record because of just a couple life things, but, uh, but I have been working on a pod fic, a Sunder pod fic, which is, will be done soonishly. Um, the last chapter is, is almost ready to be recorded. And so, um, we, we, I record, I'm, it's kind of a joint project. So it's a collab, um, me and a different voice actor, we're interpreting that one. And and it's so fun. It's such a great project. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Um, Oh, I'm, I'm excited. Who, who, you know, I I know a lot of, not a lot, not all the Black Sales fans, obviously have read Luke's books, but I know a fair amount of them have. And so uh, the Fetch Phillips archives is is very near and dear to my heart. And uh, I'm, I was super happy to get to work on this topic as well. I think it's more ambitious than, I think it's the collab part of it is the most ambitious one I've done. I think before that I would have said Cupcakes was just because of the singing, because, um, because listen, I'm, I was good enough at singing to make it work for the fic, but I'm not at all trained in, in, in vocals. Uh, And so I'm happy, I'm happy to hear you. I know are, you know, a very, very good singer and vocalist, like, praise that part of it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. No, I really, I really, I was so glad that you actually sang the songs and didn't um, take the cop out of just reciting the lyrics. And <sighs> I, it just, it works so well. And I, I it just, it's, Absolutely. it was beautiful. I really, really enjoyed the experience of listening to that entire fic. And um, yeah, and I totally understand in terms of experiencing the fic in a different way when you're recording it because as an actor um especially if I am doing a big chunk of story in one session you are able to really build up and get to these points that that the characters are in the story where where you write them into these places where where it's a, a deep emotional reaction and if you're recording these organically and building up it's the same thing as you know where you're able to get to emotionally on stage in character is you mm-hmm. are able to chronologically build up and get to uh these really emotional places and i get affected by the stories when i'm reading them and that's one of the things that's yeah. one of the reasons i absolutely love doing this um i have even even um, in my childhood, everything I read, I read out loud. Oh, okay. Um, and I, I just have always, uh, interacted with stories in that way. I love language and I love the, I love the musicality of really good writing, um, and finding that. And so that's why I have, you know, I got really, really excited when I found your pod fix because I interact with stories that way as well. And so I, I absolutely love, everything that you've done you have inspired me on so many levels really really you really have and Art, you know hiding behind <laughs> no <laughs> honest to god this without me discovering your pod fix this podcast would not oh god not have been born really well that is a, a, such an such a flattering compliment that i don't know what to say i'm so glad the podcast exists Uh, you know, I can't wait to hear all the other writers you talk to. I've enjoyed James's interview so much. Um, and I enjoyed, you know, you, you doing your interpretation of that, of his story, because it's one of my favorite stories. (laughs) 
it's so beautiful. It really is. And this, this story is also so, so beautiful. There are, I pulled out a pull quote when we posted the art from, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I, uh, I'm going to gush about this piece as well. Mm-hmm. Like Kelsey magic bubble pipe yes. has for the last two episodes provided such gorgeous gorgeous cover art for the episodes that if you if you are finding us on spotify those images were created by this incredible artist yeah and when we posted that that piece on tumblr i pulled out the quote where he says you know and it and you know what that that line reminds me of is in the sound of music where somewhere (laughs) somewhere in my youth or childhood I must have done something good but like where he just you know what must I have done to have such a beautiful man Man doting on me like this (laughs) and it just is something terrible (laughs) like yeah something terrible like uh I just uh swooned over that the thing about that line is that it's so many people's favorite line that's something terrible surely and then and then flint going terrible and i'm just like it's uh, because it's 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 what you would say right it's the cheeky thing to say right that silver would like try to be quipping because he's trying so hard to deflect away from this sincerity because it is it's spinning him all around because he is not used to flint saying these things and then flint coming back with this like up down you know look of like oh yep terrible and like it it really it really for me was like this is sort of their how how good it feels seen like how good it feels seen but like in a different light and um, uh-huh. but, but I was like I hope this works because it feels oh my it, gosh because it goes, it's it's like, so does and then everybody pulls that line and I'm it's, like I'm so happy I got when I read it the first time I got to that line I was like whoo yeah I know it very is like fanning <laughs> like of course Silver's like, like fanning himself like oh my god there's yeah there's always in any great story involving romance there's always that moment that's like butterflies Mm -hmm. and like that is the butterfly moment it is just it's so intimate he's licking his chops over there you know (laughs) it's just so beautiful it really is and like the just the, the characterization of flint as a as a big cat yeah. uh, that he comes off in in the story which <laughs> truly truly is in character like you yeah. know, there's there's so much about him that is very cat-like and in and in terms of the body language fic, he is yeah just like the man he, spreading and he all prowls just, he yes he, he he prowls he's like the his, his the way he sort of like holds his jaw posture like the, the way that toby has his flint jaw posture always for me feels like he wants to bite like yes. snarling and i'm like he's he's the tiger he's, yeah. like pacing his cage lashing his tail i'm not sure who first started saying it but but my friends and i are v- very much like we just point we go tiger kitty and also orange you know he's so orange yeah <laughs> um yeah it works so well there's so many beautiful moments in this fic and like even just recording it I hit those moments and I was just like oh it's just so romantic and I you know so I'm starting that's you know I'm I'm starting to pull out 
those um those fix to focus on because you know that's kind of like the the um the soft entry mm-hmm. into uh the world of fan fiction is going at it from from those moments of wish fulfillment but also when we get into like the the meteor stuff in terms of the angst the yeah. angsty post canon stuff tends to be a lot of very heavy and yeah, sure. uh and emotional and we will get into that but right now because i'm just starting mm-hmm. i'm i'm doing stuff that is i'm it's mental candy for me oh yeah i I'm- think it's a good game plan too <laughs> i think it's a great game plan for like for for viewers and listeners as well um to take like the more soft verse is what i tend to call it stuff um which is but but still has like really good characterization i was just tricked into saying something nice about myself because i was thinking about james's piece but it's true that the that um a vulgar holy thing is um and and mine which the chapter title is your touch brought forth an incandescent glow those two really are handshake emoji with each other as far as like husband's vibes and like taking a taking a little minute out of how fraught canon is so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really happy that they're back to back like this because they feel like they feel like echoes they feel like they're giving each other the thumbs up like same hat um, yeah yeah but yeah there's also a lot of really beautiful deep character study that's just pure angst no fluff which you know it's good to sort of get to that as you know not as the first yeah I, I agree with I agree with this game plan So what advice do you have um, in terms of people wanting to maybe uh, people who have uh, become fans of Black Sails and want to express themselves in terms of fanfic writing or maybe people crossing over who are fanfic writers of other in in other um, universes uh, that want to break into Black Sails? What is the best piece of advice you would give them? Um, Okay, I've said it. I've said it a few times um, about, you know, staying immersed in the source material is ten- Yeah, I-, I tend to think that's a good a good move. But I thought about this advice. I thought about this question, and and for like for people who don't write and want to write, especially specifically for black sales, like but just in general, I mean, don't be intimidated. Um, is kind of the thing. You just need just start doing it, and you're going to get better but you can't get better until you start doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so don't, don't, you know, don't overthink it too much at first, you know, and, and also that you, you may want to write a thing that you feel like has already been written. But the thing is that by the nature of you being a unique person with your own life experience, you're going to bring something to it that doesn't exist yet. So, so write it. And, you know, also uh, I know people have seen the post around a lot of the, Oh, you know, two cakes. We want as readers and, and as fandom goers, we want to read the same thing over and over again. Sometimes, you know, we do, yeah. we, we want 300 versions of this AU or 300 versions of a deep dive of this scene. So do your version of it. Um, and don't, you know, write what you find to be fulfilling and fun and try, you know, I'm going to try to take my own advice, try not to think too much about what other people think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and try not to like focus too hard on that. You have, you have a wonderful and unique thing to tell the world. And if you want to write it, you should, and don't, don't wait for permission from anyone. If you need permission, I'm giving it to you. Just start today and do it. And yeah, I, I really, really, that is, 
best advice. Uh, the only way to get better at it is to start doing it uh, now. Yeah. So. Yeah. So where can people find you online? Oh, you know, I'm kind of everywhere. So I'm around. I got my fingers in all kinds of pies, it seems, all the time. Um, I am at JNovs on Tumblr, which is J A Y N O V Z. I'm at JNovs anywhere that you can find me, that you can search me. That's also my AO3 handle. It's got the Christelle Jenkins in parentheses. as far as on Tumblr, my ask box is always open. If you want to ask me questions about writing or pirates or anything, you know, I'm very friendly. Um, I'm in various Discord servers that you will probably see me shouting all over the place. And if you search JNOBS, you might even find my old Twitch streams, which would be hilarious. But right now I, I hang out a lot in the Sunder City Book Club and in the Built on Sand event server where we're doing Black Sales rewatches on Mondays. So you should come hang out with us. You will see me. I'm around. I'm, I'm in the main tag. I'm looking at you. If you're in the main tag, I'm reading your live vlogs. <laughs> same. Absolutely same. Well, thank you so much, Jay. This has been, I, I was really, really excited to talk to you today. And uh, it's been an absolute pleasure and an honor to have you as a guest. And I'm looking forward to collaborating with you on the Cupcake AU. I'm, that is going to yeah. be that's going to be such a great way to introduce people uh, to your talents as a voice actor. And um, I, I, I really am glad that we're going to be able to uh, have some guest narrators on the show. And that's going to be fantastic. So that's going to be, like I said, a series. Um, and that will be coming up. I will um, make an announcement in terms of when those episodes are going to happen. They will likely be interspersed um, between regular episodes. So there'll be like little, little bonus episodes uh, about mid-month. I'm overwhelmingly excited for this. And also I'm just overwhelmed in general that you have said so many nice things and that you've asked me to, you've asked me to be here and speak so long. So thank you. (laughs) And that you want me to come back and do it again. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, we are both a couple of very, very long-winded people and I, that's okay. And I tried to remember that it's fine that people come to the podcast to, to, for this very thing. And exactly. (laughs) And the people who are sticking around, the people who are listening, this is your thing. These are the people who are, are coming to the table, ready to eat. Mm -hmm. So Um, And I'm never going to apologize for the length of an episode, never going to apologize because I know my favorite podcasts, when I see that it's like two plus hours, I get very excited. (laughs) So glad. So people are like, (laughs) we were like, oh God, you know, the episode is two hours and 29 minutes. I'm going to shout out Todd Schlosser because um, whenever they have a really long episode of The Horror Virgin or uh, Romancing the Pod, which are two of my favorite podcasts, um, they always, oh, you know, this is so long. I'm so sorry. Never apologize. I get so excited for the long podcast. Yeah, people who love audio content and love podcasts, um, yeah, they're going to love it for sure. Um, because they're, they're trying to get through their chores or their work day or whatever. Yep. And uh, yep, yep. they're happy that there's more content, not less. All you're, right. You're welcome, everyone. 
<laughs> exactly, exactly. We're just giving giving the people what they want. All right. Well, thank you so much. I will be posting about what our next episode is going to be. Um, I believe our next guest is going to be Witch Queen. And I will definitely be updating on that. But thank you so much for joining me. And I will talk to you next time on our Cupcake AU collab. Thank you so much, Jay. It's been such a pleasure taking this journey with you. Thank you to Kelsey, a.k.a. Magic Bubble Pipe, who drew the gorgeous sketch of Silver, Flint, and Flint's Tummy TM featured online for today's story. You can find them on Tumblr at Magic Bubble Pipe and on Patreon. Kelsey does stunning work and takes commissions, so definitely check them out. And thank you to all of our listeners, whether you're returning or joining us for the first time. We appreciate you, and we'd love to hear from you. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and a review. It truly does help us to be discovered by more listeners, which helps to shine a brighter spotlight on these amazing artists and creators. If you are a fanfic author and have a favorite story you'd love to hear and want to join me on the podcast, please reach out to me on Twitter at Kendra Spring or at AudioficPod, or you can send an email to readingbetweenthelinespod at gmail.com. If you're not an author but you've got a favorite fic you'd like me to read, all suggestions are welcome. Please reach out. Thanks again for listening. This has been Reading Between the Lines, a fanfic audio podcast, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.